Alrighty, welcome to the My Age Podcast, a podcast that brings you conversations with people from all walks of life, using music to plot a course from their early years to how they got to where they are now. Also, a proud member of the Podbelly Network, um, which is a basically a really cool network of podcasts that kind of do a whole bunch of different things. You can learn how to podcast if you're half interested in it. There's a whole bunch of tutorial videos and you know FAQs on how to get the get the ball rolling on it. Heaps of good bits of uh, information on how to yeah how to start this um, if you're not sure kind of where to go uh, if you're not sure how to kick the thing off or if you've got an idea and you're not sure what to, how to do it um, yeah check out so check out podbelly.com um, or you know they're on all the social medias as are we uh, my age podcast uh, sorry my age yeah podcasts.com on Facebook on Instagram don't do Twitter because it's you know it's a pretty vile place. Um, yeah, not that much places are much better, but you know, you got to draw the line somewhere. Um, so today's guest, actually, no, before I go on, hope you're doing well. Um, you know, if you're up north, hope the winters, well, the fall isn't too brutal as yet. And if you're down south, then, uh, you know, daylight savings has kicked in. It's a bit rough. That first two weeks of daylight savings is, uh, very, it's straining. Because you still want to stay up, but then you've got to get up early. It's that, yeah, finding that fine line of the sweet spot of going to bed at a decent time, but still feeling like you didn't just work and go to sleep. Um, yeah, so anyhow, I babble. So today's guest, a gentleman named Bob Shed. Uh, if you know, if you've seen the name, chances are you've seen it because he is one of the three hosts on arguably the best podcast kind of going around at the moment uh it's called axe to grind it is the prominent hardcore podcast um well so they say which look i'm not going to doubt them because they're they're a thing at the moment let's you know it's it's it was described as on one of their podcasts talk back radio no sports talk radio but for hardcore and if you listen to it you won't disagree um it's fucking fantastic one of the things I like, I mean, there's a lot of things I like about it. One of the things I like most is um, maybe it's me being lazy to some extent, or maybe it's me being a you know a relatively new dad. Cody's turning three at the end of this, at the end of November. Um, but my opportunity to source out new music, um, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, isn't as easy as it was when I was 20 or younger. You know, um, so I literally these days it's gen- most bands I kind of come across. It's very rare that I find a band that I've just kind of stumbled across that I really like. Um, usually it's been spoon fed to me by a couple of places. And Axe to Grind for hardcore music and hardcore adjacent music is generally the place that I come across it. They do really cool things like this year, which we talk about on the podcast. They do this thing called Mosh Madness, which is a play on March Madness, which is basically with all the a bunch of college team, college basketball teams um, in the US kind of do a 64... Well, it's, it's a bit more that, but let's just call it 64 at the moment. Um, 64 team playoff thing where teams go head-to-head and then 64 comes 32 and then 32 becomes 16 and then it goes all the way down. Um, anyhow, they did a March Madness for the past decade 2010 to I guess current um, and it was unbelievable because there was so much stuff that I missed out on because the finger hasn't been on the pulse or 
yeah, whatever. Is what it is. Um, and it was just cool to kind of hear stuff that I, yeah, said that I missed out on. Um, as well as that, they, they just play other shit and topics that come up both in hardcore uniquely and across the wider spectrum of, I guess, society and life in general, but with a, uh, a, through a filter that, you know, if you're into that kind of music and you subscribe to a lot of the ideologies of that kind of music and punk rock music and the big umbrella that kind of encapsulates it all, it puts it through that filter and gives you kind of perspectives or thing, ideas you had never thought about or, or kind of reaffirms what you'd already thought or, you know, whatever. So, it's really fucking great, worthwhile, um, and we do talk about it a bit on the podcast and it's definitely, you know, it's, it's fantastic to listen to. So, before we go on, um, I just want to, I'm kind of trying to do this thing where in order because the other place I get new music from is the High Fives Podcast what's up mate what's up Mike um, if you haven't checked it out please do High Fives Podcast search for it on the social medias it's the number 5 apostrophe S um, not the I don't think it's F-I-V-E-S but whatever you'll find it um, Nate was a Nate and Mike were both early guests uh, on the My Age Podcast like episodes 2 and 4 or 5 um and I did actually was I did a it, I'll, I'll repost it soon, but um I did a I did an episode with Nate when we we when we met up in Las Vegas at Punk Rock Bowling, you know, just me, me him and I talking shit, but um you know based on the actual you know the I guess origin story of the My Age podcast. Um, so if you're interested in that, again I'll share some links or just search uh, High Fives podcast and you can check that out. Um, but the other thing, so yeah, wanted to do was just share new music that I think is really cool that I think people who listen to this might kind of get something out of um, this week it's a band called Cross Keys I've got no idea how I stumbled across them It's it was one of those rare instances where no one actually told me about it it just kind of appeared um, which is you know which is a really nice way for things to kind of come into your you know your view or your ears you know listening paths or whatever however you want to put it um, they're a relatively new band from Philadelphia. They've got a new album out at the moment called Saviors. It literally, well, if you listen to this in the week the podcast came out, it came out like within the last week or so. Um, so yeah, go check it out. It's got, uh, it's, yeah, so it's on, um, yeah, so the album's called Saviors. The band's called Cross Keys. Um, hopefully going to have a chat with the singer, um, or a member of the band's, you know, to kind of. Hopefully, either get him on the get it to do a full My Age podcast episode, or just a quick chat on kind of the band and kind of what's happening and all that kind of thing. Um, I'm throwing around a few ideas for different, not different avenues to take, but additional avenues to take in um, 2024 the My Age podcast to kind of not you know just not change it up too much, but just kind of expand it. Um, so yeah. As I said, sorry. New album, uh, Saviors, Band Cross Keys. Label is Hellminded Records. Uh, They're out of Philadelphia. I tried to pigeonhole this, and I can't. And, like, I thought to myself, I won't say this reference when I record it. I'll just, I'll let it slide and let people kind of work it out for themselves. But I feel like, and, like, let me know if I'm completely off the mark anybody when if you hear this and you think i'm completely off the mark or if you're in the band let me know what you think um it sounds like a lot of it sounds like early get up kids um as in like four minute mile and 
that like pre something to write home about. Um, early Get Up Kids mixed with As Friends Rust. So yeah, which you know you might hear it and think that's perfect. You might hear it and think you're high and you need to you need some sleep and you need to catch up on rest and you're yeah you're you're wrong. Either way, let me know what you think. Um, and thank you for all the feedback from not only the last episode with Ross, but also, um, yeah, just the, the people that are getting into new music, like digging the new music that I've been playing. Um, you know, do the thing, buy the record, stream it, if that's the way you do it. Buy it on uh, Bandcamp. Buying a record for $5 means, the, means so much. Like, even if it's just the digital copy, means financially for a band so much more than streaming it you know the album 10 times or whatever like it's yeah and yeah no i wouldn't say a million times but like you have to someone has to play the album about a thousand times to justify that five dollars um so you know if you dig it and i think you will go buy it it's a really cool thing um yeah otherwise look did i i talked about bob i did indeed um so most people know him from the Axel Grime podcast, which is, you know, which is where I kind of, he kind of crossed into my path. But after having a chat and after kind of talking to him in the lead up to doing the podcast, realized I crossed paths with him in a kind of roundabout kind of way, um, uh, which we talk about. Um, and I've posted a picture on the, um, the uh, My Age podcast Instagram and Facebook, which references a particular story, which was pretty fucking wild. Um a guy just actually no I won't I won't give the story away listen to the story and then if you want context or to see it you know whatever go to the My Age podcast Instagram and check out the picture because it's fucking crazy uh, this yeah yeah just go check it out cool I think that's about it I should stop rambling I've talked for way too long patreon.com slash My Age podcast paypal.me slash My Age podcast if you're half interested no sweat if you're not doesn't matter just you know throwing the idea out there um Cool.
Friday My Age podcast episode 39. Uh, with me today, as you would have read in the title, I have a one of the hosts of the prominent hardcore podcast out there at the moment. The podcast is Axe to Grind. The, the guest today, his name's Bob Shedd. Bob Shed, what's going on? Not much. Thank you for having me on. Excited to uh, to do this with I, you tonight. I really appreciate your time. It's really yeah, it's really appreciated. Um, look, so I just we'll just kick this off how we kind of normally kick them all off. Um, tell us about your parents. You know, let's go as deep or as shallow as you want to about you know where they came from and that kind of thing. And yeah. All right. Well, my parents, my uh, my parents are both from Massachusetts. Um, my mother was born in Framingham, Massachusetts, which is about 45 minutes from Boston, which is where my father was from. He grew up in South Boston. Uh, they call it Southie. Southie, which yep. is, we've, <clears throat> we've all seen um, yep. Good Will Hunting, yes. Yeah, okay. So, so my father grew up there. Uh, he had a um, he had a, 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 what they call a Southie dot, which is a tattoo on his hand. It was the only tattoo he had. Um, and it was about the size of a bean, um, and it was just the dot. <laughs> and uh, he got it, I believe, when he was 10 years old, uh, and wow. his mother was horrified. My grandmother was very upset about that. Um, they, uh, My parents got together when my, my mother, for all intents and purposes, stole her best friend's boyfriend. Wow. Um, <laughs> but it was much more – it was much more congenial than that. I, I that She is still my mother's best friend, my aunt. Yeah, my. I don't know if you guys do this there, but I have a lot of aunts and uncles who are not really aunts and uncles. But my aunt Marion is still somebody I see to this day. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, they introduced them. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and can we, uh, before we go any further, I, can we talk about the the Boston dot? Was that something? Oh that, yeah, was Southie that, dot. Yeah, sorry, Southie dot. Was that something that um, was it a rite of passage or was it just something that kids did? Because they realized that if you got ink and a needle, you could kind of give yourself a tattoo, or like, what, did it signify anything, or was it just something that kids did? It's um, a lot of times it'll be on your wrist or on your finger, on your hand. For my father, it was right by the base of his thumb. Uh, I think they kind of stopped it. It was very green. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, he. Uh, it was kind of a neighborhood thing to do. Yeah, right. Uh, like a uh, street kid. So it, it kind of signified you were from the area? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. My father grew up uh, in South Boston um, across from uh, the D Street Projects. And um, it wasn't the easiest place to grow up. He was one of six Irish family, uh, as most were in South Boston at that time. And, uh, you know, he always credited my mother for getting him out of there. Okay. Um, and it's not to say that, that he, you know, he was a smart guy. He was a nice guy, but you know, he always had, a, he had a lot of great stories. He worked at uh, a famous restaurant in South Boston that, um, that's still around today. And that we went to a couple of times, uh, when he, when I was a child Yeah. Um, and he worked there, but he's like, well, when I worked here, uh, my, my friend, Tommy Sullivan, was away at Vietnam. He was a few years older than me, but I had gotten in trouble there a few times. So when I got the job there, uh, I had applied by the name Tommy, Tommy Sullivan. So when I worked there, they just called me Tommy Sullivan. Right. And he said, okay. they must've thought I was the dumbest guy alive or just deaf because they'd be yelling at me. And he was just a bus boy, you know, he cleaned tables. Yep. 
carry carried plates, and they'd be like, Tommy, 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 and he would never answer. And he's like, Oh yeah, me. Yeah, That's me. right. I'm yeah. Tommy. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he was in trouble uh, with so, the restaurant, he, or he was in trouble like locally with cops or something. Um. Well, again, without yeah, getting too all deep. All of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. Um, okay. He yeah. was. It, he was never. Uh, he was never a criminal, but he certainly. Yeah, uh, got in trouble locally, and I think he was okay. He he was a good yeah. kid, though. Um, as he told me when I challenged him, when I got a, a C or something in middle school, yeah, uh, I said to my father, he, he was really mad at me, and I, I was kind of like, well, it's not that bad. It could have been way worse. I didn't, I didn't flunk. I didn't do anything bad. And I kind of was like, well, how did you do when you were in high school? And he was like, I did fine. Brief pause. <laughs> when I was there, yeah. well, yep. <laughs> which to me meant, Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, your so, attendance you know. wasn't um, fantastic. So, right. 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 So anyways, um, so my father and mother, uh, then moved, they got married, they moved across the country and, um, yeah, you know, my parents are, were great people. I was born in Colorado, Denver, Colorado. Okay. And, um, well actually right outside of it in Aurora, Colorado. Uh, in 1981, and yeah, uh, they were both great. My father loves music. My mother does too. Um, my father passed away about wow in 2006. Okay. Uh, so he died of cancer at the age of 52, I want to say. Um, and I was and I was only 24. You know, I, I was lucky to live that long and have my father in my life. But, uh, yeah, yeah, he passed away. Um, and, yeah, still one of the biggest – it hurts my heart to even think about it now. But, uh, you know, he was my best friend and my hero. So um, I think of him every day. Yeah, that's that's incredible that you can have that kind of – you know, even though he's passed on, you can have that kind – you can hold on to that kind of relationship or, you know, those – Oh, well, those... you know, it's, 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 it's the good things you hold on to in life and not to get on – weird folksy whimsical thing but uh yeah you know he he was a really creative person who uh you know he worked just a straight job he worked in sales for um food service companies and he did well but you know that wasn't what his passion was he he was always much more creative he loved music he loved art he you know when i was very young i was interested in comic books i'm still interested in comic books to this day and he yeah. would just support anything I was into and it's just it's that kind of energy that I try to carry my life with both to you know I now have a son but also just to people around you is trying to support the interest that they're into and and you know I never met someone um you know it's hard because it's your father so you're around them but he didn't he really was very open to people and interested and curious even if they we're interested in something that he didn't care about at all. He was curious about their interest and he was interested in their passion. And I've always thought that was a really admirable and amazing trait to have because Absolutely. it always means that, you know, you can step outside of yourself and be interested in something that is more interesting than somebody else because you're trying to understand them better. And that's kind of something I, I carry with me and I, I, consciously and subconsciously put out into the world um and my mother is is wonderful she's she's an incredible woman um like i said i think she probably is responsible for <laughs> for 
my father uh, living a longer life than than many in his world did. Yeah. Um, she she was a military brat. She bounced all over, um, and she always was able to keep me out of trouble. And so uh, I, I love her very much. But both of them were in the music, and so that's kind of a cool thing. Um, and kind of led me into interest. And, you know, it wasn't like they pushed me into it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was kind of cool. Good, good people. And, you know, I, it's one of the reasons on the Axe to Grind podcast, we'll, we'll joke about a lot of places in the United States. We, we make a lot of jokes about Boston, but it's a place I, I do have quite a fondness for and love for. However, people from there, Almost to a to a to a person, almost every single one of them is a little too proud of where they're from. Yeah, okay. in a strange way, they just love it so much. Yep. So I always like to take a piss on that. Yeah, look, as an outsider, I don't think we really like Australians don't have that pride of you know everyone can be like yeah I like where I live and that kind of thing, but like you know looking at someone who's from or like you know the the general consensus of what people from New York are like or what people from Boston are like and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But there's this overwhelming sense of pride that Australia just doesn't have at a local level or even, a, you know, a, a city level. Like Australians love being from Australia, but that's about it, yeah. if that makes sense. And so, yeah, it's just... Totally it, does. It's really interesting <laughs> to see, like, you know, again, from afar, the passion for that, you know, for that area and hyper specific yeah. region. Yeah. But then on the, on the flip side, <laughs> um, the hatred of other places, uh, the, the, the hatred for other places is something that I have a hard time with. Okay. I love to, to kind of take the, kick the wind out of and take a piss on. Yep. Um, places. And that's mostly about getting a rise out of people yeah. to be really, really honest. Yeah. <laughs> we do it with Boston just a little bit. We do it to Philadelphia all the time yep. because, um, they're so provincial and really as far as the city, one, it's one of the most important cities in America's history and yeah. in the United States history, all that stuff. But two, they actually have this thing where most people who live in the area, um, I shouldn't say most. Many people who live in the area don't leave that area. Yeah, yeah. High percentage don't leave the area. Don't move. Don't don't travel. You know, as much as in other spaces. So what what that leads is kind of like this insular. Uh, this is all I know. So what could possibly be better? Yeah. Whereas for someone like me, um, through my life, I've lived in. I was born in Colorado. I lived in upstate New York. I lived in New Jersey. I lived in California. I lived in Boston, Massachusetts. I lived in Texas. <laughs> you know, I lived, yeah. I lived right outside of Philadelphia. So I've, I've moved all around and lived in a lot of places and been all around the country. And for the most part, I can find something nice to say about most places, including yeah. Philadelphia. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I, but it is really odd, and I think it speaks to an uglier problem that we have a lot of times as Americans um, and people in the rest of the world too. But just speaking from my experience, I think it's it's really ugly to think the thing that you know is inherently better than the thing that you don't. Yeah, based on uh, it just, based it on betrays it, it, exactly. It betrays some ignorance, and ugh, it's just kind of ugly to me. Yeah, that's. Yeah, and look, I'm sure we'll. I'm sure as we go through um, talking about 
your later years, especially of traveling and that kind of thing, I'm sure that kind of conversation will pop up again. But before we get too far, let's sure. um, throw some music at me. What were your parents listening? Like, was music always on and around the house or, you know, like obviously records were kind of the thing at an earlier age, but like was the, yeah, yeah what was happening musically? Oh man. My, so my parents were into lots of different music. Um, my father liked a lot of different guitar music. He loved Stevie Ray Vaughan, Jimi Hendrix. Uh, he liked a lot of Motown and funk. He was big on Grand Funk Railroad. He was big into, he wasn't super into psych rock, but he was really into a lot of different music that ranged from the late fifties, well into the late, the mid to late seventies and, and beyond. He was, he was always interested in music, kind of whatever tickled his ear. Yep. My mother liked a lot of stuff too, but the song I, I, I kind of would pick out if I had to pick one that really resonated with me um, was my mother loved the Beatles and so did my father. Uh, and they kind of, they both had a huge appreciation for, for the different eras of the Beatles. Yeah, you know, absolutely. you have the earlier era. Yep, the suit and ties. Um, more the simple, yeah, and the suit and ties and the more simple kind of like fun, upbeat, lighthearted rock and roll music. And, and that to me is kind of really interesting when you think about it in the context of, of music as a whole and where it starts. And especially if you listen to the, the Beatles and compare them to the Beach Boys and a few of the other earlier, you know, rock and roll acts. Yeah. Um, but but I, I and and then as they get more and more experimental and, and what they start doing songwriting and gets more complicated as an adult, that's always appealed to me more. But the song that I always connected with early and young is the song "A Day in the Life." Wow. Yep. I, I feel that. Yeah. So that's obviously so of Sergeant Pepper. So later in their career. Yes. Yeah. Later in their career. But, you know, um, it's just always resonated to me. It's like a really tremendously heavy song when you hear it to me. Yeah. And, but it's playful and there's different parts. And you hear the, you hear the composition between two different songwriters, um, between Lennon and McCartney kind of combining. And, and like when you hear that song, is it necessarily a collaboration or is it some sort of intertwining? Yeah. Of two two thoughts, you know? Yeah. Um, and so the separate parts of it, to me, are really, really beautiful. And when they come together for the, the in-between, let's say, it's the magic. And it's, uh, it's really cool. And it, it's a song that has such a tone to it that I, I think anyone who likes music could certainly embrace that song yeah and i i it's it's just a really it's an important song to me it's kind of heavy but it is something i love
When, when people talk about this album, I always feel like the one thing that kind of, like the album itself was like ahead of its time or, you know, it was it was way ahead of what everyone else was doing. 
but I always I always like hearing about um and a lot of people who are way more um like into the technical side of music than I am always like to talk about how um it, was it George Martin was he the who, yep, who, yep, who, sure was. who produced it? Was it was George Martin, wasn't it? It was George Martin, yeah. Yeah. Correct. Talks about how he tell you know how at the end he tells the orchestra, look, I want you to go from this note to that note yep. and play as fast or as slow as you want. And then they get all that and they fuck it up like they, you know, manipulate it with the yeah. really primitive technology and then with it ends the, with that. The tapes. Yep. Yeah, with that big crescendo. Mm. End, so, yeah. Yep. So it's fucking it's you know it was and it was late seventies uh, sorry late sixties so it's just wild late sixties and to yeah. me yeah like that's how formative how yeah. wild to think about that song in the scope and to compare it now in the late sixties you have a lot of other stuff going on like you know when is Sergeant Pepper's released I'm trying to remember sixty seven so sixty seven what I always tell people is that the late sixties are wild because. I don't know that people totally put the the timelines together, yeah. but you know the first Led Zeppelin record is released in January '69, wow. so you already okay. have this these like right, so you already have like like a lot of stuff sonically. Things are changing and, and moving. First Black Sabbath records released early 19, February 1970. Yep. You know what I mean? So you have a lot of things changing very quickly. Um, Pet Sounds is coming out. So they're playing with songs and sounds. And also the progression for the Beatles from being that, you know, Love Me Do band yeah. to this, to singing about heavy stuff, to singing about things. And also making music that's a lot more advanced. They took their audience with them on this trip. Yeah, absolutely. Um, where they they kind of expanded what your palette could be to music. And who knows what popular music looks like uh, if they didn't do that. And I'm not saying, you know, I think everything would have broadened at some point, almost inevitably. But they did so, I wouldn't say with intent, but certainly with purpose knowing how popular they were yeah, and, and just going, we just wanted to write the music we wanted to write and doing so. It's amazing. But what, what's even more to me, what's even more mind blowing is, you know, the, the earlier Beatles and the, you know, this isn't the Beatles podcast and went, well, yeah. I'm definitely not going to claim <laughs> one of those episode. probably. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But like, you know, the, <laughs> the first couple of albums, like please, please me. And with the Beatles and all that, yeah. like those early ones. Yeah were only six years earlier. Like, I know. What a progression. <laughs> what a progression that is. Because, like, everyone, you know, I have this thing these days where I think, oh, you know, six years isn't that long or, you know, not much change. Like, if you look at a band who released an album in 2013, chances are, like, I yep. mean, there's a few out, there's a few outliers, like someone like Ceremony, but, like, chances are the band that they were in 2016 is pretty similar to what they are in 2019. You can't say Man, that about but, the Beatles. You know, ceremonies. No, I know, and I think that's such a good way to put it. Is ceremonies a good comparison? Because there's people who are like, "Oh my god, ceremony sound is so different." Bah, bah, bah. Yeah. The last so the ceremony just put out that new record. Yep. Um, when did when did L shaped man come out? I think that was 2016, 2015. Yeah. So L shaped man comes out in 2015, and the record before that. Was maybe twenty thirteen. Let's see, 
Yeah, L Shape Man was 2015. Yeah, Zoo was 2012. So here's the deal. Between Zoo and In the Spirit World now, that's a seven-year gap. Yeah. I would argue that the evolution from Zoo to In the Spirit World now pales in comparison to something like this. The early Beatles material to the later Absolutely. material. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You know, in, yeah. in terms of, like, so the way people look at these things and, and almost feel betrayed by, by change in sound always always uh, loses me. I, I think that if you can't look at and appreciate a band like Ceremony Movement, and appreciation is different than enjoyment. Like, yeah. I, I quite like the most recent Ceremony records, and I really like some of their middle records. And their early material, I, I was around for all that. I yeah. watched it live and remember how visceral and incredible to see that was. Yep. But that's not music I'm putting on to listen to, even if I'm in the mood to, you know, punch a hole in the wall. For, for that now, for a lot yeah, of people, yeah. that would be a go-to. You know, for a lot of people, that would be a go-to. But to me, I, I think they're one of the most remarkable bands to see the evolution of their sound and to to appreciate it and see it. And even if you don't per se like the music of a band like Ceremony, I would encourage anyone out there to go and listen to what they were doing on all the records and watch as it moves. Yeah. Because that evolution is just, it's just remarkable. Anyways. And I've like to, you know, I might cut this bit out because this might be an unpopular opinion and you may have completely different views on it, but I have the same thing with AFI. Um, I feel that oh, yeah. they they don't move as quick, but there's always a step. Like there's there's very yep. rarely a carbon copy of you know, and their their you know what first album was like ninety four or something, or like the early releases of ninety four. So yes, correct, mid nineties, yeah, yeah. But the band they were back then compared to the band they were in the mid two in the two thousands compared to what they are, you know, now mm-hmm. they're just. Yep, it's a you know relatively it's the same couple of members, drummer and singer, yep. but you know, and it has then morphed into something that's like you may not love it, and I I get annoyed when people go, oh, you know, fuck that band, like their best albums in two thousand. It's like, yeah, that's cool, but the new yeah. stuff is definitely worth checking out just to see what yep. what they've kind of created. So yeah, that's my take on it. Leave all this in because you're dead right. Yeah. You're, you you keep that all in because this, you're dead right. And, and I'm somebody who um, – I got into AFI around the time of the All House EP, yep. Into Black Sales and the Sunset, all that. And I had friends who were in love with the earlier material. Yeah. And I remember discovering Black Sales and, and like, I loved it. I was all in. Yep. saw them play a skate park in Asbury Park, New Jersey uh, to not a lot of people. It was like, this is awesome. This band's great. Yep. Wow. Got the record, was all in, had the T-shirt, the whole deal. Went back and listened to the other stuff. Ah, just, just didn't like it as much. Yeah. The record after, I was like, okay, a couple tracks, and then they do sing the sorrow, December underground. Yep. And 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 I remember there was a lot of people who jumped off. I think it was Sing the Sorrow had a couple of really popular songs. Yeah, but it also had um, a lot of electronic. Well, it also had. A smattering yeah. of electronic stuff, which people kind of freak the fuck out about. Like, I know, <laughs> yeah. which is so funny to think back on. But I, I remember, though I wasn't all in on the record. Yeah, I was like, oh, I, I see this, and I even then, and I, I was a much younger man, obviously. 
I enjoyed it and I appreciated seeing that that um, that evolution. And as I've continued to check in and hear a song here or there, it never felt incongruous to me. It never felt like pandering. Yeah. And that's something I would give to a band like AFI is that I've never felt like they were writing music that was designed to make them more popular. Yeah. It always felt like, well, this is the next step in our sound and this is what we want to be doing. This is where we're going. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Like, I'm glad. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm really glad you said that actually. Yeah. So hopefully people who hear this will, will have a crack at December underground or, yeah. or love crash or. Yeah. yeah. Yo, t- check those things out. Like to me, to be honest, I'm looking at this list and I'm like, Oh, you know what? I haven't heard their last two records. Okay. Now that means that I haven't like listened. I've heard a song here or there. Yep. Um, but just this conversation is kind of turning me into going, Oh yeah, I should listen to those just to see what they sound like. And, and a big thing to me is always, even if you heard it when it came out and you weren't feeling it, Maybe if you can't remember it, go back and listen to a couple of songs. You might be surprised. You might yeah. like it more now than you did then. Yeah, absolutely. And that plays into, I mean, again, without getting too far ahead of ourselves, that's one of the beautiful things about, um, I think the narrative of Axe to Grind is yeah. when you, you know, earlier on this year you did Mosh Madness, which we can get into later. Yeah. But, you know, just to keep it to keep it on track kind of thing. Now, I thought that was just such a beautiful concept for to make people, because, like, I definitely... Fell out of hardcore is not what I want to say, but I definitely my sure. priorities shifted. Getting married and you know really knuckling down, trying to work at a you know a you know make a living and all that kind of thing, and stepping away from yeah. bands and all that kind of jazz. Life gets in the way. Indeed, Life gets in the way. So yeah. like it was good to be like, oh, I I couldn't. I don't know what happened in two thousand and you know two thousand and twelve or two thousand thirteen in that particular style of hardcore. Mm-hmm. But you guys just laid it all out and you were like, hey, go check it out. Like this is some cool stuff that happened that you may have missed. And there was tons of stuff where I was like, I may not have got it at the time and I don't I don't like it now, but I'm like I'm not may not be into it now, but I'm glad that's you know, I'm glad I got to hear what the best of the yeah. best was for that period of time. So yeah, that's you know. I, I that was the goal. Sure was. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So let's get back on track with um uh, Bob Shed. Um, yeah, you're born in you're born in just outside of Denver, Colorado. Were you there for long? Yes. Oh, I was there until I was about until I was five years old, I think. Yep. Um, I yeah, I moved to uh, and and I loved it. Um, you know, but I was a very small child, so uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of fleeting memories, just flashes of things. Yep. Um, from there, we moved back to uh, the Northeast. As I mentioned, my, my parents are both from Massachusetts. I uh, and much of their family was still in New England area, so we moved to upstate New York to a small town called Latham, which is right outside of Albany. Okay. Um, so it's about three hours to Boston and uh, two and a half to New York City. Okay. Yep. So. Um, you know, it is kind of its own area, its own region. Um, and I lived there for, I'd say, much of my childhood until I moved. We moved to uh, New Jersey, where, where actually, actually to the town I live in now, yep. um, despite having a big break. But I moved when I was 12. So that kind of led to some interesting things that I started kindergarten and, you know, went through school. In Latham, and uh, you know, I would say I had a pretty normal 
experience as a kid. Yeah. I had a lot of friends. It was, you know, it wasn't like I, I was the most popular kid in school, but I had lots of buddies. And, yeah. You know, I played sports and had a nice time. And, you know, I really enjoyed living there. Uh, the schools I went to were good. They were well-funded. You could tell that people were invested in the community and all that kind of jazz. Yeah. Um, and so it was great. We, we ended up moving to New Jersey, though. My father had a, a career opportunity, decided to move. Me, my mom, my, my younger sister, yep. and my father, we moved down and uh, relocated to a town called Brick, New Jersey. Which is bizarre um, enough where you are now, yeah? Which is bizarrely enough where I am now. Yeah. Uh, and I have to admit, when I first moved here, I was completely miserable. Okay. I can't, you know, it was... It was heartbreaking to me. I was in the sixth grade and I moved a month before the end of school. So, yeah, wow. <laughs> and I went from, yeah, so, so I was, uh, you know, just hitting adolescence, just hitting puberty, all that fun stuff, yep. just kind of getting right on the edge of it and move. And now all of a sudden I moved to a new town, go to a new school and I'm in school for about a month before it lets out. So I don't really make any friends. Yeah, so it's a horrible <laughs> I, uh, summer. You know, oh my god, it was it was a horrible summer. But um, but it was interesting because that's uh, that's a time where I was by myself a lot. Yeah, I uh, got the opportunity to dive into things that I was interested in and discover what I liked, and uh, you know, kind of sort out what, what I like versus what I like doing with others. Um, and yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it's, it's kind of hard to explain what it's like to move when you're that age and you have this like set of friends and, and kind of an expectation of these are the people I'm going to go to the next step with. And, Oh, yeah. that's the girl I kind of have a crush on. And I'm in, you know, sixth grade and, Oh, you know, who knows, you know, and we're young and all these things. And then that's all pulled away. Um, so from sixth grade, and you're left with nothing. You, what, yeah. what, you're in, you're in sixth grade. What, like in the American schooling, like public schooling system is sixth grade, like between six and seven, is that a change of school generally? Like you go, is that, is grade seven junior high? Like, is that how that works or? So this is a gr wonderful question. Okay, cool. Thank you. It, it varies. <laughs> it actually is a great question. It varies from place to place. Okay. And it can actually vary from town to town, to be quite honest. Fuck. But um, where I was, the school I went to in Latham was K through 6. So it meant it goes kindergarten through 6th yep. grade. Yep, yeah, yep. And then, then you're correct, 7th grade, I would have gone to the junior high school for 7th, 8th. And then I would have gone to high school for 9th through 12th. Which, before you go on, is is uh, 7 and 8 versus 9 through 12, are they different locations? Typically, okay. quite often they'll be close pro proximity. Yep. Um, sometimes they'll be, you know, they usually aren't attached, but many times they'll be, you know, on the same property yeah. or, or across the street kind of deal. You know. kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly. So um, when we moved to Brick, not only did I go from being in a K through six elementary school and having a bunch of friends to now I was in a six to eight middle school, which is another term for junior high here yeah. in different areas, they call it different things. So it was a six, seven, eight, uh, middle school, which to be honest was also kind of a 
a culture change. You know, when you're in sixth grade with a bunch of kids younger than you, the you know there's there were you know maybe there were kids who were you'd go on a date with a girl in sixth grade or something. It was pretty innocuous. Yeah. But when you go to middle school and it's six through eight, uh, well, you have a whole different social currency and it's a different climate and uh, hormones are charged and yeah. raging and yep. it's a really different environment. So that was also a bit of a shock. Um, it was kind of a, an abrupt way to go from being a, a kid to being a teenager. Yeah. Um, essentially over the course of a couple of weeks. So that was interesting. Um, and yeah, a, a harsh jump to middle school from, from elementary school. No graduation. Yeah. So yeah, because that's in my mind, like, so in the Australian system, um, it's pretty, you know, across the board, K to six, K to six is yeah, what we call primary school. Um, and then seven yeah. and then seven to 12, is what we call high school, and it's very like some schools have like we'll do a K to twelve, and some uh-huh. some schools will only like yeah some schools will only do a uh, eleven and twelve and that kind of thing. But generally, it's you know K to six, and so that that the end of year six is a really really pivotal part and kind of rite of passage of hey like I'm going to a bigger school now, like you know to use really infantile words I'm going right. to a bigger school now I'm grad I'm literally I am graduating I am. Like I'm becoming a, a, a you know a young man of sorts, so yeah. So to miss out on that, yeah, is kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I mean, <clears throat> the way my brain works is, yeah, a lot of people probably process these things in different ways. But I mean, I the, I remember we moved on May eleventh, nineteen ninety four. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's, uh, I remember the date, I, you know, I could probably paint a picture if you wanted, but yeah. then I was in school for, for about a month, maybe it's six weeks and then we're out and then it's the summer. I didn't even really have time to make friends in the neighborhood or who I saw at the bus stop. Like, yeah. So it was sort of like, Oh, and, and then I was the new kid. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of jarring and it really, uh, it really changed some stuff for me, which it's okay. Long term, it was, it was probably good to go through that for me, but it was, it was definitely a difficult time and it added into the, the, the perception and the way people looked at, at middle school, junior high experiences being this sort of hard time because it's where children go from being literal children to, on their way to teenager status and, and the social constructs all change and yeah. the way you interact changes and your, your expectations both on yourself, from your peers, from your parents, from your teachers all change. And so that was pretty radical to me. I, I remember, I think I went into, and it, it, it's funny because I, I've seen pictures of it, but I went into the sixth grade and I was about five ten. Five foot ten, and I, I don't know if our weights translate, but I was. Let's see here. I'll do this. Um, two. five, so five ten for a five ten for a um five ten five ten one hundred and sixty pounds. Do you guys use pounds or what do you use? Kilos. But five, kilos, okay. But five okay. ten sounds pretty tall for a kid that young. I, I was I was tall. I was tall. Yeah. So I was about I was about five foot ten, seventy two kilos. 
which is big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I then, between, between then and seventh grade, I, I wow. continued to get taller, yeah. but I dropped to 53 kilos. Wow. Because, you know, both with, but I, I didn't have a lot of friends, so I just spent my time outside playing basketball by myself and, and riding my bike, and then I think I was pretty depressed, actually, if I look back on it. Yeah. Um, so I, I dropped weight, and I, I looked like a rail. Um, and then the next couple of years of middle school were really, were really, um, unique because I didn't have any friends and I was kind of looking for friends and trying to find out who I fit in with both on that way that I think every person does in that age range. Yeah. And then also on a quite literal physical level, I had all these friends in upstate New York and then I had zero friends. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay. And, you know, and with the same mentality, I didn't want to just like, hey, you know, I wasn't trying to fit in with someone. Uh, but it, it led to really interacting with a lot of different people. Yeah. Um, C- culturally, before you go on, and, culturally, was it, were they, yeah. were they similar? Were they, you know, was it, were you coming from a small town to a bigger town? Like, or was it really similar yeah. in that sense? Or they were both firmly suburban. Yeah. Um, not, not, not city centers at all. However, there were a lot more people in brick, New Jersey than in Latham, New York. Yep. So it was a a bigger place, but you know, everything else culturally, you know, small town with strip malls, um, kids went to the mall. The biggest difference being that in brick, we're about one town away, a five minute drive to the beach. Okay. into the ocean and so there was a lot more going on in terms of that which was pretty fun um yeah but it was also new you know i didn't have friends to go to the beach with yeah, so it, was, <laughs> um, it was pointless yeah so, so yeah yeah it was it was a different thing so um so yeah no that, that was it was a really interesting time and that's also kind of when i started getting into music on my own yeah. beyond just like taking records and CDs from my mom and dad or whoever. Yeah. Um, that's sort of when I started discovering music because I found myself with a lot of time on my hands. Yeah. So who was, who was feeding this to you? Like, like, or, or was the discovery on your own? Uh, uh, purely on my own at that yeah, point. Yeah. Okay. Um, it was, it was a lot of listening to the radio yep. and I had started listening to the radio when I was, a bit younger when I was in, in upstate New York and listening to different things. And I was starting to gravitate towards um, alternative music and, and this and that. But, um, but yeah, it was purely on my own at that point because even some of the kids I started hanging out with in middle school, <laughs> some of their musical taste, some of it appealed to me, you know, yeah. uh, man, I wish I could remember the kid who I would go to the, there was a billiards place, a pool hall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in, basically in my neighborhood called Sharky's. It was just a dive. It was a bad place. But it was a bad place in that way that at night, say after 8 p.m., it was probably adults hanging out in there smoking cigarettes and, and, uh, and playing pool. Yeah. But during the day, it was still pitch black, so you couldn't tell it was, it was daytime. Yeah. In the day, they had a row of video games and pool, so teens and tweens would go in there and hang out. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, just <laughs> so I, I wish I could think. Yeah, I wish I could remember the uh, the fellow who was 
either in my grade or the grade above me who I would go there with who, who really turned me on to Guns N' Roses. But yes. uh, shout out to him. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll whisper your name into the wind sometime. Sick. <laughs> That's unreal. So Guns N' Roses, they would have they, they would have done, they're, like, they're in the mix yeah they're, they're not super pivotal i, I you know if, if thinking about this um they were but they were kind of just like oh i like them i like a couple of their songs yeah. um but the song that really pushed me at that time um was the song uh by the band rem yeah. losing my religion oh dude. and that was the one that like just kind of got me, and again, like, I, you know, you can see, I'm kind of a weird, sad kid at some point. Um, <laughs> but that was just like, really, it felt solitary to me. And it felt like someone who was going through some shit. And uh, I related to it very deeply. Yeah, I that's that's one of those weird songs that, I yeah, that really hit me at a young age too. For for not really the like for the similar solid uh, solitary vibe of it, but you know with a different upbringing, yeah. You hear that song and it sounds like it sounds like the letter someone writes before they write their suicide note. If that makes sense, yeah. Like, that's yeah, kinda, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's and the the film clip always hit me really hard. Like it all, yeah. It just had something about it that as a twelve year like so I'm born in eighty one as well, and um, beautiful, you know at that kind of time you're looking at stuff going oh, i don't get what this is but i can't i can't stop watching it you know i, I yep like i'm gonna no. yeah like I, I don't get any references in it i don't get what what's happening but i know there's right i, I know this is heavy like in the music video and the song just mm-hmm. hand in hand together yeah That's it. totally agree and it's just it really it hit me in a way that nothing else had up to that point
remember how you got onto it was it like tape trading or was it like did you see it on mtv or what was it no i saw, I saw it on mtv yeah. you know it, it's I, I there's no shame in me i i didn't i don't think i knew what tape trading was yep oh sorry but what i mean point. tape trading i mean like you know like a friend just goes hey here's this like oh right yeah no i didn't have any friends yeah um, of course you so, yeah yeah right yeah <laughs> i uh no i up to that point my father worked for a small coffee company in in Albany that was in the same warehouse as a music distribution okay. company. So he would end up, he, he got friendly with the guys there and the guys at the music distribution were more than happy to trade records for coffee. As you do. So he ended up getting funny records. Yep, he got funny records, stuff he really liked, stuff he just thought was funny. Yep. You know, so it's the reason that I heard the record Big Black Songs About Fucking okay. uh, at a very young age. Yeah. Simply because my father saw it. It's a cover. If you've ever seen it, it's oh, really yeah, yeah. funny. Yep. And, you know, so, so, now, neither of us particularly liked it, but it was pretty funny. Um, so, but then after that, um, I discovered music through MTV and then going from that to, you know, you look around in a record store or a CD store and <clears throat> what else is next? Um, and you know that certainly the music video for Losing My Religion yeah <laughs> made it very easy for me to get into that song yeah that makes sense so you're into comic books was that a was that something you picked up kind of in the summer like you know not to sound really weird but like in the summer of loneliness did you pick it up then or did, 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 was that earlier <laughs> no in life or? no no much earlier yeah, okay. um, I got into comic books in because uh, it just seems oh, like the kind of thing a young um, kid would do like. That a young, books. depressed kid would do. Yeah. I know, sure. No, actually, that is a time where I actually got back into comic books. Okay. Um, because I had gotten into comic books in, I believe, 1986 heavily. Uh, but I remember the first comic book I bought was a, a weird Marvel Comics sort of collection slash history or something where they kind of compiled a bunch of books. Okay. Like, classic stuff when we were driving from from denver to upstate new york 
you know, it was we were stopped. That at sounds some like gas a hell of a drive, or, by the way. About two thousand miles. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so that um, that uh, we we stopped, and that is uh, that's. Oh, how many? Um, oh, the kilometers, you mean? Yeah, it's yeah, um, 3,200. It's 3,200, yeah, 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 there you go. Good, good translation. Uh, we got some comic, and I really enjoyed it. My father had been into comic books when he was a young man, really, you know, like a kid. And when I showed interest in that, he was like, sure, if you want to go to a comic book store, we can go to a comic book store. And comic books at the time were, were pretty affordable, you know. Um, yeah. They were usually... I think around that time they were still under a dollar, um, under a U.S. dollar, so it would be 75 cents. Yeah, yep. Um, so we would go to the comic book store and he'd just let me pick out anything I wanted. Yeah. And what I wanted was all of them, you know, any of the new ones, anything I didn't have. And that went on for years um, because I would just sit there and read them and read them and read them and I knew them. And it was interesting because outside of my dad, I didn't have any other friends who read comic books. I didn't talk to anyone else who liked comic books um so it was a very singular activity for me it was just something i really liked for myself yeah and around 1991 92 92 yeah not to go full comic book podcast on your butt yeah um there was a big transition for the creators at marvel comics where a bunch of them left to form image comics which is Pretty well-known story, all that stuff. Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, Mark Silvestri, Todd McFarlane, Walt Patasio, um, a few others, Jim Valentino, leave. And these were very creative minds who left Marvel all at once, mass exodus. And what was left behind was a lesser level of talent. But also coinciding with that, it's something I could talk about for quite a long time and I won't do it here. Yeah, fair enough. Just the overall storytelling went down. So okay. I kind of got out of comic books in 1992, 93. Um, and then the, the summer of loneliness, loneliness, as you dubbed it, yeah. um, I ended up getting back into comic books a little after that. And there were some books that sparked some interest in a comic book store in general walking distance that I ended up uh, going back to and, and rediscovering my yeah. interest and, and got kind of heavily into comic books again for a few years um, before in like 1998-ish I stopped again for a similar issue where I just wasn't enjoying the stories as much Yeah, and uh, you know and again this has been a story in and out of buying comic books on a regular level um, but you know that that kind of coincided with me getting much more into music and, and into hardcore and punk music too. Yeah. So, so as as we're going to talk about further in your life, one thing that really impresses me, you know, again without sounding too odd, one thing that really impresses me is I feel like you've all. I mean, I'm not sure what you do now as an occupation, but I feel like you've always kind of made music not a well a career or at least a living. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's obviously sure. a big influential part of your life. What, what was the transition? How do you get from losing like REM's losing my religion to something a lot harder? Was it like, did you hit, did something, did you see like 
uh, did you see Step Down on MTV and go, yep, that's me? <laughs> or was it like, did you do the, you know, something that I kind of did where it was like, cool, so 90s alt rock, Green Day, Offspring, Bad Religion, da da da. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, fuck, what's Strife? Like, you know, what is AFI? That sure. kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you know, it's interesting. It was uh, probably closer to yours, though not exactly that way. Yeah. I remember, um, I remember Green Day coming out and I was firmly into grunge at that point. And yeah. I loved Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots and like, I love that music. I still do. I never stop. Even when I got into hardcore, most as died in the wool. It was not something I ever looked back on or tried to hide in the closet. I loved it, um, yeah. which was rare. Now I really, I think it's quite amazing because I think there's people who are younger who are really into, you know, uh, music or a subcultural scene but don't feel the need to be like, to shun the things they liked before. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't always the way it was. <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, absolutely not. Yeah. There was a lot of, a lot of people like to but, keep those skeletons in their closet, even though they shouldn't have been yeah, skeletons. Yes. Yeah. No, 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 no reason for it. Um, but I, I do, I remember vividly really enjoying Green Day. Uh, I owned uh, the Rancid record when it first came out um, yeah. and I put it, but, but that stuff didn't put me on a path from there. You know, it would be actually, I would be, I would get into hardcore before I ended up circling back into stuff like that religion. Um, I ended up meeting some guys around, uh, around my town and, and in high school. So I, I go through a couple of years of middle school and, you know, I, I end up being friends with kids in my neighborhood and that, that was, that was really cool and, and pretty fulfilling. And, you know, the kind of kids you go play football with in the street, um, and, and go play sports with them. And it was nice. It was cool, but it was still, uh, there was still a little bit of distance there. And yeah. uh, I, I never felt totally a part of it. But, um, but when I started going to high school, uh, I ended up, you know, getting involved with and interacting with a group of dudes who are full on into punk and hardcore music, just full on punks. Uh, there were skinheads at my school, you know, not racist skinheads, you know, the, yeah. the other kind, the good kind. The shops. And yeah. full-on punk dudes. Yeah, 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 exactly. And um, and and Riot Girls and, you know, it's just this funny tapestry of, of kids. I was like, huh, I like these people and I like their attitude. I don't necessarily think I'd ever dress like that or, you know, uh, wear, wear, wear suspenders or, or bondage pants, but... But not all of them do. Some of them just are wearing, you know, jeans and a T-shirt and a band shirt or a, a sweatshirt or whatever. You know, like didn't seem too far from where I was. Uh, and a lot of them, you know, were were cool and accepting of me and, and were really nice too. And so I ended up getting to know a few of them. And uh, and at that point, I think early on, a couple of them, uh, my my buddy, this kid Topher. Uh, short for Christopher Topher and and uh, a guy I'm still very close with Andy Andy Scarpula uh, introduced me to a lot of bands and start you know being like hey you should come see our band uh, they did a band called Three Against One um, who were sort of half hardcore a little bit of street punk in there and um, it was really it was a high school hardcore band but it was really cool and they were already kind of into stuff, but they introduced me to stuff like the Bad Brains. 
And so probably uh, Bad Brains Band in D.C. is one of the songs that sold it for me, was uh, getting into hardcore music. And, and that kind of energy was complete. The energy, the vocals, um, just the imagery, it was so, so, so different. Um, and I really liked it. And I remember just listening to it a lot. And, you know, at the same time, I, I still had a Foo Fighters CD and, and, you know, like the very first Foo Fighters record and, you know, various alt stuff. But, but I found myself gravitating to it and, and feeling kind of like, you know, getting goosebumps when I'd listen to the music and the energy behind it. And it was explosive and felt like it was saying something to me a lot more than just uh, morose, it was active voice, uh, which was really interesting. Did you re- did you recognize it as like? So I've had an interest. I've you know spoke to a few people, um, and a kind of general consensus is that like, you know, not that I'm saying Green Day and Bad Brains or anything alike, but like if you come from a background of listening to like early '90s alt rock, Soundgarden, Alice and Change, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and then you hear something that's different but not too far away like did you view it as this is this is a this is its own thing that's outside of an alt rock world or did you just view it all as like it's just it's still part of the alt rock umbrella like because you know a lot of people when you hear green day for the first when you heard dookie for the first time but your again your record collection was yeah jar of flyers or super unknown whatever it was just like well it's it's all the kind of same kind of thing but like but in theory green day was it's green day was a different subgenre or whatever like did you view it as just an alt rock thing or were you like no this is a new style of music no i i think you you parsed it correctly to me the way i experienced it was yeah i like green day dookie it was just another thing in my collection with Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and, and Stone Temple Pilots. Yep. And same, to be very honest, the same thing to me with that Rancid CD. Okay. Um, yeah. Now, years later, oh, no, okay, I see how these are much closer over here than to that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But when I heard the Bad Brains and I, I got the Bad Brains uh, Roar uh, Sessions CD, Looking yep. um, Spring to the Capitol, all that, to me, that was something totally different, even though sonically, even at the time, like some of the guitars, like I could see and understand it. It just felt so different. It really did. It was, when I listen to music now, it's, it's hard to explain, but, but when you first experience it, if you're coming from that world of, of alternative music and major label, big world stuff, worst session sounds primitive and yeah. raw and Very it primitive. is yeah. then you're into hardcore for a while and you're like oh this sounds great compared to some of this other stuff yeah. when you listen to the negative approach the bad brain sounds like they're recording you know uh on top of the capital record so yeah that was doing but, it well. yeah <laughs> right but um but no i and i mean it was different also in the way people handled it in the way people talked about it You know, uh, it's a really funny thing to think about, but I still remember vividly being 15, um, maybe, yeah, I guess I was probably 15, maybe even 14, but probably 15, and being on the phone with my my friend Topher, who 
lived less than a mile from my house, but we were on the phone for whatever reason, yeah. you know, on my home phone, my parents' phone line, and him explaining to me the history of the Bad Brains and who they were and being from D.C. and then they moved to New York and what they did and this and that. Yeah. And just being amazed because this is like, it's like, wait, what do you mean there's a, like, story behind this band? Like, like you know, up to that point, it was like, well, what's the story of, of Alice in Chains? Well, these guys got together in, yeah. you know, Seattle yeah. and yeah. decided to do a band. Even, even stuff like Nirvana, it's like, well, you know, there's a couple guys over here and this guy from here and Olympia and da 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 and, you know, but the bad brains it's like, well, so it's these guys and they do this and they're playing here and there and this and that and then they have to move and they like there's a mythos behind it. Yeah. So it felt totally different right from the jump and then that was kind of a platform to stuff like the Misfits who, you know, despite the fact that they were bigger had similar mythos. Black Flag, similar thing, uh, into stuff like The Descendants. And, you know, so, so there was kind of a very classical 80s punk and hardcore base um, that, that a lot of the guys I was, who, I, who got me into hardcore were into already. And yeah. I'm very glad for that because it, it gave me this reference point right away to learn about some pretty cool stuff and, and still records that I listen to this, to, to this day, you know? It's always interested me, like, um, Australia from the West Coast is like a 14-hour flight, which when you're in your early teens and that kind of thing, it may as well be another planet, right? What was it like? Correct. Was yeah. was there was there still – was there not a disconnect, but like 
the Babrains in the early 90s was, I mean, the lineup was different, obviously, but like they were still active. Was when I think of bands from the US or bands from um, the UK, they may as well be from mm-hmm. Mars kind of thing. Like, the, the, like again, in the early, sure. when I'm in my early, early mid teens, may as well be from Mars. Like, was there still a disconnect, even though, like, you're living in New Jersey and they're in New York? I, I guess are in New York. Mm-hmm. They may not have been by that time, but like, did they still feel like this, this big, you know, uh, how do I put it? Like, this thing that was more than just four. Like in uh, in its essence, it's it's just four guys playing fast rock and roll. But like, sure. was was there something mythical about them? Even though you were still so closely geographically ge- geographically to them, does that make sense? Like. Was there? Absolutely, it totally does. Yeah. There was. There's. There was totally a magic there because, because you know, uh, it wasn't. You know, the record I'm, I'm referencing that record's from like 1983, yeah. 82. You know, 80, You know, so that recording set the base for all this other stuff that I, you know, that that I was either seeing or wasn't aware of, and then I'm starting to see. And, you know, when I'm getting into stuff, 96, into 97, the Bad Brains were larger than life. They were, you know, a band who, the bands I was going to see, they would do covers. And, oh, everybody knows the song. And then it was also a time when, you know, I, I, you could see pictures of them in zines or, or this or that. Or, yeah. or, you know, oh, somebody has this and this is what the record looks like that's all you had was these kind of like snaps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, occasionally I think one of my friends ended up with a bootleg live video. And, and I remember being a young teen and thinking about that and seeing this video from, you know, the mid eighties and thinking about how crazy this was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so it still felt magical. It did. It felt a little bit removed, but it was like, you know, even kind of putting myself in the mindset that I had then, it was, just wonderfully romantic yeah. and, and, and just, which felt so different than some of the other bands I was into and, and really loved, you know, like I love the Stone Temple Pilots, but there's no way on earth, even to the biggest Stone Temple Pilots fan, I don't think they could ever mean as much as the fabrics mean to most of their fans. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So from the Bad Brains, you get into the Misfits, you... Misfits, minor threat descendants um and then into some of the bands that were kind of current to the day as well things like 10 yard fight and floor punch and small local punk bands and new york hardcore i'm I'm getting into the classics of new york hardcore that's kind of the base of what i started getting into yeah was like so you're kind of getting to an age now and you're living in an area where local shows would have been thick and fast like you know from touring bands and that kind of thing was that on the radar at an earlier age or like did, did was, not, no? not at a time before, this. you know, I got into it and, and it was pretty quickly that it was seen like, you know, the guy who ran, who was on my cross country team, he was a senior and I was a freshman <clears throat> who would start the race by screaming misfits lyrics <laughs> as he ran, which is pretty funny now when I think <laughs> yeah, of it, yeah. but you know, there were shows at <clears throat> some of the local clubs. The Stone Pony in Asbury Park did a lot of punk and hardcore shows. 
and there was a small punk club in Roselle Park, New Jersey called The Cove that is so fundamentally important in this weird way um, that I can't totally explain it, but it was amazing because I was going there at age 15, 16 without my parents. And I was, it was an hour ish away from our house. Yeah. And there were a ton of other kids my age, even to, you know, down to 13 or 14 going. And it was just, it was, (laughs) it was total anarchy. It was total wildness. And it was amazing. You know, it was so powerful. Were you getting touring bands there or was it all local again? Like was all kind of smaller? um, No, you were getting touring bands. Uh, you were getting different stuff, but we were also getting shows at VFW halls. And yep. uh, I don't know if you guys have, but you know, small fire halls, yep. different places that uh, people would rent. And so I mentioned the guy who was on my cross country team yelling misfits lyrics. He was going to these fire halls at 17 and 18 years old and saying, Hey, I want to do a rock show. Yeah. It's kind of like punk music, et cetera. It's also going to be a food drive. Okay. And, you know, it was basically, here's the bands that are coming through. Sometimes we'd get a lot of the bands that were coming through at that time in our area were on the more street punk side of things. So the Unseen, uh, Blank 77 on the more spiky punk, yeah. Casualties, that kind of stuff. Um, but he was doing a lot of these shows and it would be, you know, $10 or $9 with a can of food. Yep. And uh, it was it was also the acknowledgement like oh you can anybody can do this you can just if you put it together how to get a pa and can talk to the bands yeah and rent this hall you can set up at the door and charge for a show and it was like it was another part of this music that i found so amazing was that it was not reliant on like oh well we're gonna play this bar and we need to sell tickets to to play so buy a ticket from us it was really an independent thing and i i just thought that was incredible yeah it, it's it's in rock music i feel like it's incredibly unique like i don't like i'm sure there's electronic music scenes that have kind of that have that kind of concept like find a spot find a pa the rest will kind of fall into itself but like i don't think in really many yep. other rock genres or, or subcategories or whatever that was a kind of thing it was yeah so it's it's a beautiful thing that that punk rock and hardcore have kind of you know helped create or they, keep alive i think i think they pioneered it I, I i i hesitate to say it was purely them but but like the whole the idea of diy um to say that punk and hardcore music didn't help really push that forward yeah. to being uh in the public jargon and the lexicon is i think foolish i think that rock music in the 70s used to be predicated on well, we're going to play the bar down the street and we're going to do cover songs and hopefully an A&R guy sees us and then they'll send us to play this other bar and then we'll score a record contract yeah. and go record and then go on tour. And it's like, no, nah, that's a.k.a. the model that the Beatles were undergoing in the 1950s. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, hardcore and punk music, we're like, well, no, we're, we're going to book our own. Your club won't book us? Okay, we'll book our own shows wherever they'll have us and we'll promote it ourselves yep. and not just that but we'll promote our own, our music ourselves through making our own zines because your magazines and your weekly newspapers won't cover us so we'll make our own yep. 
And, you know, there's very few other things that I compare that to. Uh, but I, I do say, at least here in the States, but I think it's everywhere. I think in Europe and, and in Australia, I'm sure you have it as well. Um, I actually taught a course at NYU about, about punk and hardcore wow. uh, a few years, two years ago. And the, one of the professors um, that I worked with was uh, from a theater background. And he's like, you know, this is all incredible and really good. And you're, you're right. It is. But he's like, a community theater has been doing that same stuff since the right. 1500s. I was like, well, yeah, yeah. You're right. <laughs> yeah, good, right. good on you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you're right. So, so it's, it's, it is, it is amazing and awesome and cool, but it's also this really cool thing that you see, Oh, other places do it too. And, and yeah. we should, we should respect that and think about how cool that is when, when you see it. Yeah. So anyways. Yeah. That's really, cause I would not have, I would never have thought of that parallel of a, a theater company or that kind of thing. Yeah. Just that doesn't cross my mind, but me the, neither. Yeah. In the same but, way that my dad would, they have them all over the place. Yeah. Like my, my dad and, you know your dad's generation would probably look at that and go no like you couldn't there's no way in the world you could you booked a hall like and you booked a pa no that doesn't make sense like there's got to be gatekeepers to go through so yeah there you go right and now i think now people don't necessarily see it that way i think there's generations of people who are younger i mean grunge music breaks in 91 92 whatever and uh and they all came up from through essentially the model that that the first wave of of punk and hardcore music made which was no you know you you can play small clubs you can you know most of those bands most of the grunge bands either came out of or were playing with punk and hardcore bands in diy or small venues that they were being booked themselves and putting it all together themselves. Yep. And, uh, and guitar based music as a whole, not completely, but for the most part, I think has now moved into that model as opposed to anything else. Yeah. So were the record stores holding it? Like were they, were the record stores you were visiting carrying those records or was it all like mail order? No, I, I was lucky enough that there were record stores in the area that had it, um, you know, New Jersey is a weird place. <laughs> there was a lot of, there was a lot of record stores. There were a few record stores, you know, um, this might sound like a completely foreign thing or it might, might be something that you do see, but there were several record stores in New Jersey that specifically catered okay. to underground music and specifically punk and hardcore. Wow. Um, there was, there was one that was about, 45 minutes an hour north called curmudgeon records in edison new jersey that uh a couple guys ran and it was all punk and hardcore music so they had tons of cds but also had seven inches and 12 inches and uh beyond that they even had demos that were from all over the place um so that was essentially from the age of 16 to, to 18 uh what i lived for yeah. was was going with friends or trying to convince somebody we knew with a car to take us there and spend any amount of money i could find uh on new records and new stuff and i, I really i vividly remember times where it was like okay we're gonna go to curmudgeon 
this Friday and it was the beginning of the week and it was like, I wouldn't eat food at lunch. Yeah. I would, I would, <laughs> Save you I would try to collect money. Yep. Yeah. Oh, oh, I was, I, I think it was any, any scheme I could come up with to make a couple bucks so I could go and buy a new seven inch or buy some more records or buy a couple of UCDs. That's what I was doing. Um, just because that was, it was just so, it was so meaningful and it was so cool to do that. So, so big shout out to Cremungeon Records. Um, they were, they were a, a first love of mine. That's amazing. So again, one of the things I've always thought was really cool, like, yeah, again, from listening to a lot of um, the Axe Grind podcast episodes, you, I, I take it, I'm going to have a guess that you didn't actually ever play an instrument. Is that right? Uh, I played the trumpet. Oh, right. Okay. No, yeah, I played the trumpet in third and fourth grade. Yeah. So when when the folly yeah. when you got, when you do when you decided to do a folly <laughs> cover band, you're in with that. Yeah, yeah. When I start my lesson, Jake cover yeah, band, I, right. can, I can get I can get really quite crazy back there. See, um, but you, yeah, you were always really you always seem to have been really active and like touring with bands, like yeah, yeah, actually touring bands mm-hmm. and doing your own thing. What what was the – why did you – like what stopped you from picking up an instrument but still getting heavily involved in touring and I guess there would have been management or at and least – being with bands. And stuff. Yeah. It's a really good question. Um, I did – you know, I always thought about doing a band. But I guess there's a couple things that played into it. Yeah. Um, when I was younger, I probably, I didn't know, you know, a lot of my friends already had bands and they were doing bands yep. and it wasn't in my head. It was like, well, they're doing bands. So uh, at that time it was, it, it almost seemed unfeasible for somebody to be doing like several actual bands. Um, and, uh, and the ones who, you know, some of my friends who had gotten me into stuff, it was sort of like they were doing things and, you know, I would, I would help them and, you know, roadie for them or I'd go to practice with them. But it wasn't like, oh, yeah, maybe I should try to do a band with them. It just, for whatever reasons, didn't cross my mind. Yeah. Um, but then I did a couple, like, you know, a band that I practiced with a few times uh, with kids I knew from high school. And it, it, it's the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, I was singing and there was a couple other kids and they were all loosely into punk and hardcore, but then they started leaning and it's like, Oh, we all like minor threat and the descendants. But then as the music started going, they're like, well, let's, maybe we'll do it a little bit more like, like this Blink-182 song. Yeah. I'm like, ah, maybe not. And they're like, yeah. but it's still kind of fast and still has that. Like, yeah, but, and then, Oh, maybe we'll cover this, uh, yeah, Colin song or not. No mustard plug or something. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, nah. Oh, uh, what was the other one? Look, so that would have oh, been gosh. me. Like that's yeah. that's where I that's where I kinda that's yeah, that's me. Like, yeah. Doing melancholy covers live. Which is covers, good. Yeah. And and those were some of my oh those are some of my very, very best friends and I, I love them all, but but as far as doing a band, I was I'm thinking uh negative effects and they're thinking no effects. Right. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> so uh so it was a little bit of a disconnect. And then um you know, it, it, it's a funny thing, and I wish I had pushed harder because it was. I always had other things going on, and you know, I was working a lot, and I was doing things. And, but you know, if finding time to do it, you could have. Um, me and a couple guys uh, like practiced once 
I, I can remember this vividly. We practiced once in uh, Red Bank, New Jersey at this rehearsal place where like floor punch practiced there back when they were a band yeah. and, and our friends' bands in this, this band Full Speed Ahead and, and Tear It Up and all these bands practiced there. Um, you know, one of my good friends, Pete, who was in this band Down in Flames and he's been in a lot of different bands since then. He's still like an incredible drummer and, and a friend, Ryan. Really what was popular at the time was was fast, like thrashy, hardcore. Yeah. And they were, were all into that, and I was too. But but we were also like, it was like, you know, I love 108, and I'd love to do a band that sort of sounds like that. And I love this idea of this guy going out there with a conch shell and yeah. blowing it before they play, yeah. and how how just like crazy that sounds to say out loud. But we, uh, I think we practiced once, maybe maybe they practiced twice, or maybe you know, but. But uh, I wish we had done that because especially at the time, it would have been so different than what else was going on. Um, and then as things got, got, kept going, I, I just didn't – I just never felt the urge to get up on stage to express myself yeah. or to write songs. And, and it's funny because actually as I've gotten older, I've thought about it more. But I always – I always like creativity and expression, um, but perhaps my preferred method of it is writing. Okay. Um, yep. And so there was a bit of a disconnect there to me of the just like raw emotional need to get up on stage and, and do it versus like just being able to, to get it out in other ways. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So mm -hmm. what made you, you know, what made you tag along with bands? Like you, were you friends, like was it just like friends that were – in bands that you, you just jumped in the car with or like would, would, were they, yeah, asking, yeah. Were they mean, at a level where they were asking for help or what's the story? Um, I mean, it really started with just like, Hey, do you have room? You guys are playing that show. Do you have room for me to go with you? Yeah, you know? Okay. Um, and the extension of like going with friends to a show and then it being like, Oh, our band's playing. Do you want to go? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, if you, if you listen to extra grind podcast, You've probably heard my friend Andy, who we've been friends since I was 15 and he was 16 or I was 14 and he was 15, something like that. And, um, you know, a few years later, I met uh, another guy who's been on the show, Dave, um, Dave Ackerman, and he he was in the band Dead Nation when I met him. And, and I, we loved the band. I liked the band and he became a very good friend of mine and we worked together for years. Yep. He ended up doing this band Tear It Up, who were, uh, you know, got pretty popular um, and you know, like we were really good friends and he was starting that band. It was like, Hey, do you, you know, you want to come sing backups on the demo? Sure. Hey, you want to, and Andy was in that band too. Yep. So it was like, you know, I was just kind of always around with that and like, Hey, do you want to go to these shows? Yes, I do. You guys got room. Um, me and Dave ended up working together at a screen printing shop, TDT screen printing in New Jersey. And it was always like, hey, will you stay after work and help you make these shirts? Of course. Hey, you have an idea for these shirts? Yeah, sure. You know, um, so so it's sort of like being willing to do that and being excited to do it. And you know, I certainly yeah. was because it was fun, and and I always enjoyed that side of it. Was you know making shirts or going to the show, helping helping load in, helping load out, that kind of thing, helping sell merch, whatever. Um, I, I always had a good time with that. So. It kind of was a natural extension from, hey, you got room in the car to go to the show? Cool. To being like, hey, you got room in the van? Sure. Yep. Hey, you want to 
sell stuff for us, you can get a ride. Absolutely. Hey, do you want to drive to Chicago to go to the show and then drive back why 12 not? hours? Yeah, why not? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Why not? Oh, amazing. So then what you, again, like, so from what I picked up from Axe Grind, um, you worked at, it was, Rev, it was, you worked at Revelation Records, yeah, as an A&R? I, I did work at Revelation, so. It was there much, like, if you fast- yeah, how, do, how does that kind of, that's, because to me that, like, I, the job I work, we don't need to go into it, but I always say to people, look, it's a cool job, but it's not romantic. And someone spat back at me the other yeah. day, well, what's a romantic job? And the first thing I thought of was being an like, you know, nowadays it's kind of a bit more, uh, not as obsolete or it's not as recognized, but like being an A&R guy, working at a record label and kind of hanging out, not hanging out with bands, but like helping nurture bands and create yeah. kind of that kind of thing. Yeah. Like that's a dream job slash the most romantic job I can imagine. How do you fall? Like, do you yeah, fall yeah. into that or how does that happen? Well, you're not wrong. It, it is pretty cool. All right, so um, it is, it's a, I can be pretty quick with this, okay. um, but there's obviously a lot of wrinkles and turns and twists. Yep. So I work TDT, screen printing, making shirts, um, You know, basically working my way up from like, you don't know how to do anything to, hey, you know how to do everything. Even if you're not the best at everything, you know how to do everything in here. Good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, the the woman I dated for quite a while was originally from California and she was on the East Coast for school and she wanted to move back and you know, she's like, Hey, do you want to move to California with me? I said, Sure, why not? Yeah. Let's do it. Um so when I was how old was I? I guess I was it was before I I think I was I had just turned twenty one. Um, decided to move to California, uh, end up moving um yeah, let's see, 19. Yeah, I don't know if I, I, I might have been 21. I might not have even been 21, yeah. but I think I was 21. And I move to California. I end up applying for some jobs, get a job working for this company, Band Merch. Um, at the time, Band Merch is now owned by Warner Brothers or oh, wow. one of the big okay. you know, entities. At the time, Band Merch was owned by a, well, they were owned by a man named uh, Don Delson, whose son was Brad Delson from the band Lincoln Park. Okay, yeah, cool. Okay. Um, AKA Lincoln Park owned this merch company, essentially. Yeah. Um, so I ended up getting a job with them, doing uh, uh, being a warehouse manager and retail distribution manager. So what that meant was I helped make sure all their they had a, you know, this is 2003. They had a very primitive web store, mail order system, made sure all that was good, made sure all the tour returns were good. So it meant when, you know, Metallica came back from a tour, we got six pallets in and had to count through it and organize it and figure out what goes where. Yeah. Um, so I ended up getting a job there and it was really interesting um <laughs> pretty funny yeah i can imagine i uh, got to interact with a bunch of different different people the guys from lincoln park were were uh despite being music that i i wasn't really that into but they were really nice guys and and good people um and it was a fun place to work and the people i worked with were great um man i have funny stories from there but anyways it was a cool experience you know i, I worked there for about 10 months um, at which point I, I decided I wanted to go back to school 
Uh, and we had wanted to relocate from LA. I was living in the San Fernando Valley, yep. AKA the Valley, the Valley. Yeah. <laughs> um, and moved to Orange County, okay. AKA the OC. Yeah. So jump um, over, jump over so, all of LA. Exactly. From north so, to south, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I want to give them a big shout out because I, I decided I was going to move. I let them know. I said, hey, I know it's the beginning of June. I'm planning to move mid-August. So I'm giving you my notice. Uh, I also know that, you know, there's a couple people here you might want to promote or whatever, but I want to make this good. I, I've really enjoyed working here, and I want to make sure I can do whatever I can to make the transition great. Yeah. And uh, I'll never forget the guy who was kind of the president or whatever, the, the, the honcho, yep. the place, his name is Michael. He was in there. He's like, oh, okay, well, you know, th- thank you so much. Um, would you give me a minute? And so he, I'm like, sure. sure. I sit in there. He goes out and, he, you, know, I see, you know, he comes back into the office and he's like, okay, so we have a, a, a policy that I, I, you're definitely not aware of that when someone gives their notice – we, we, you know, typically they give two weeks and yeah. we say thank you so much and give them their their two weeks pay and let them go that day. Yep. Um, you just gave us two months notice. Uh, so um, here you go. Here's two months pay. You were excellent. Thank you so much. <laughs> but, but also here's so a box to clear at your like, desk or – yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, please, today will be your last day. You know, yeah. uh, please feel free to say goodbye. And it was, you know, it was sort of like this really cool gesture. <laughs> but anyway, um, that just meant I had a. Uh, we had talked about summer of loneliness. This was the summer of video games. Yeah, making um, up for it, making up for lost time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. Um, so, moved to Orange County, and um, I was I had kind of known a few guys. Uh, I knew a guy. Um, I was friendly, and I actually ended up getting while I worked at Band Merch. I helped a, a mutual friend who was in a band get a job there in their accounting department, and I had gone with that band a few times to Northern California. It was it was friendly enough of a guy named Greg who worked at Revelation scrimping shirts, and I was like, hey, if anything ever opens up at Rev, let me know. I'd love to I'd love to work there, you know. So because it was two towns away from where I live. Yep. And uh, sure enough, a couple months after I moved to Orange County, probably about maybe four or five months, uh, I was going back to school. A job opened up there as a publicist. I applied and I didn't have a ton of background in PR um, or publicity or anything, but I did know Revelation Records inside and out yeah. and knew Hardcore inside and out. And uh, I will always remember that I said, look, I guarantee that no one will work harder than I will yeah. for this company yep. and for, for this label and that I'll give 110% of my effort. And and I guess like the kind of you know, the, the job um, that they were after, you can kind of be taught it. Yeah. But you can't be taught the history. Like in in yeah. in, in a, in a yeah, six week space, you can't be taught the history, but you can be taught the job. Exactly, and so so that's uh, I started publicity, and it was pretty clear, pretty quick that I really meant what I said, and that I was going to work really hard, and I did. And they noticed that, and they appreciated it. They asked me to uh, start looking at doing stuff with the label, and so I did. Yeah. And uh, 
shortly thereafter, they moved me from publicity to A&R. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, that, that was 2005, and I was there till 2008. So one thing, like, one thing that's – well, yeah, you get this job and it's, it's a lot of people's dream job. Like why wouldn't it be? Um, were there, was there anything sure. that you kind of pushed for that didn't get or was – or on the flip side, like the thing, that got, the, the thing that you passed up on, are there any of those notable kind of bands that you can share with us if that makes sense? Of course. Um, and maybe we can use this for a song too. Yeah, cool. Okay, um, yeah, fantastic segue. But you can tell me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's a good way, right? Um, there were no bands that I passed up on that I feel any like pangs of like, yeah. well, should have done that. Yep. But um, in 2008, I had some friends uh, – whose little brother, you know, the guitar player of the band Cold World. Yep. Like, hey, man, um, my little brothers have this band, uh, and they're really good, and, you know, they're really young. They're like 15. Wow, okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, but they're really good, and um, and you should check it out. Like, is it cool? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um but they were 15. And so the band title fight certainly wasn't ready to be on revelation records. Of course. Yeah. But shortly thereafter, they got really good, really fast. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I remember hearing the song symmetry by title fight and being like, Ooh, this band's really good. (laughs) So, I don't regret not signing them because had they signed to a label like Revelation and Revelation was an awesome label and they eventually ended up putting out a seven inch on Revelation that's quite good. But if they had signed to any label that had any kind of like obligations to doing X amount of records per year, et cetera, et cetera, um, at that age, it might've stunted them. You know what I mean? So, so that's not, it's not like it was really much of a conversation, but I do remember people asking me about it and me being like, Hey, these dudes are awesome. The last thing they need to do right now is sign to a record label. Yeah. That's a really, um, that's, it's very unrecord label. It's a very unrecord label call to make. If that like, like it's, you know, yeah. I feel like, you know, I feel like the, the stereotype of someone doing that would be like, Oh no, no, this is going to be big. So let's get in. Let's get mm-hmm. in on. Let's get them in on a three sixty deal as early as they can, and you know bedazzle right. them, and we right. and then we own them. Yeah, yeah, and that stuff's so ugly to me, and I think it's so um, antecedent to anything that this music, even on a couple levels up, should be about. Yeah, because there's a there's like almost. I'm sure you felt it as you said it. There's almost an exploitive quality in the language yeah like let's get them yeah yeah. let's own them yeah let's 360 deal um and to me the ideal the platonic ideal of a record label and band whether it was in 2006 or 2019 or 1992 is that it's a symbiotic relationship and that the label is doing things for the band 
the band is working and that and putting out good music and that in turn helps the label yeah and um and that you have a level set relationship and you understand what expectations are and i don't think that always happens and i think there are labels out there that do that so well now and it makes me so happy to see those but when i see the ones that don't it makes me sad because i I think that the bands deserve better. So, you know, without like getting too deep or get as deep as you want, um, mm-hmm. what what was it in two thousand eight that made you go, okay, something new? Like, let's let's move away from Revelation Records and do something new. Oh, jeez! Like, did hmm. you did you move? Or um, what was the story? I graduated college in two thousand eight, um, right. but I left Revelation shortly before that. Um, you know, long story short. <clears throat> it sort of just had become time yeah. to move on. Uh, I, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing specific that went wrong. I, I wouldn't frame it as that, but it just became the time for me to go to the next phase. Yeah. I knew that I would be, likely moving back to the East Coast when I graduate. Okay. So I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to leave. I'm going to kind of focus in a little bit on my last quarter of school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was, at the time, I was also doing 
Sound and Fury Festival with a couple of my buddies. So what? Um, sorry, before so you go, what year did you? What year did you? You've mentioned it before, but what year did you do? You did it and then handed it on to someone, or what was the story there? Yeah, so Sound and Fury Festival. Uh, myself, Todd Jones, and Sean Riley started it in 2006. Right. Um, long story short, <clears throat> Todd had been my friend almost. We had met a couple times before I moved to California. Yep. When I moved to California, he uh, he worked actually. <clears throat> he worked for a company that was a internet nanny um, okay. company, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah, cool. <laughs> uh, they basically looked at websites to make sure that the bad stuff they were doing on those websites wasn't so bad that it was illegal. And that's what he did all day, which is a kind of crazy thing to talk about. But anyways, that was around the corner from where I worked. So we often went and got lunch together two, three, four times a week sometimes. So it was was really cool. Um, And then Sean Riley was a a guy I had met through mutual friends. And we actually were at a punk and hardcore festival in California in 2005 called Sync with Cali. That a bunch of bands were on his label at the time. He did a record label called 1917, and I was already working at Revelation. Um, and we just were, in, I remember we were standing behind the venue, and the show was good, but it was, <clears throat> it was almost like it was good, even in spite of itself, okay. even in spite <laughs> yeah. of the fact that it seemed like there was, you know, to use the boat analogy, the boat was making its way to its destination yeah. on time. Everyone was safe, even though the captain was drunk right. uh, trying to party yeah. with the, the cocktail waitresses down the hall. Yeah. Um, it, somehow it was staying straight. They still got um, it. And, yeah. you know, that's not the cat's dispersion on the people who did it. They actually did a great job. They just did it in a way that we were like, wow, this is kind of wild that this is doing so well, even though X, Y, and Z. On paper, it shouldn't be. Um, on paper, well, on paper, it could fail. Yeah. And it's doing great, and yeah. everyone's excited, and it's a great vibe. So, so we were like, well, you know what? We're talking this. We're talking to each other and saying, hey, I, we could, I think we could do something really cool. And you know, we we had both, and we had known each other for a little while, and we'd gone to Posse Numbers Fest. I had gone to Posse Numbers Fest in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Um, for my money, the most important hardcore fest that's ever existed or ever happened. Um, yes, there's been bigger ones, much bigger. Even at the time, Hellfest was a much bigger fest. Yeah. Sound and Fury, certainly, I, I speak from a point of uh, personal reference. It's really great. And there's fests like This Is Hardcore Fest, etc. cetera. Um, but Posse Numbers Festival in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania was really important. And you could see... When you were at the fest, there was a fest put on by hardcore kids. Yeah. And it wasn't just put on. It was put on really well. Yeah. And so we kind of looked at that energy and looked at the excitement in California and said, hey, let's put our money where our mouth is and let's just do one of these. Yeah. And uh, we recorded, recruited Todd and Todd was super excited about doing it too and the three of us did it. Um, our first one was in the summer of 2006 and we did it each summer 
from 2006, 2007, 2008, and then our last one was in 2009. Right. Okay. Um, after the 2009 festival, we actually <clears throat> passed it along, sold it off to a couple guys, Joey and Ray, who who did it for a few years there. Yeah. Um, so I went to the uh, 2010, which one. is cool. I went to the. Oh, there you go. Yeah, the uh, the motorcycle incident. During backtrack, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's and it was it was the wildest experience because and like you know it speaks to the it's it speaks to the as corny as it sounds the worldwide family that is hardcore punk rock like I literally yep. like I flew back from New York I was I was on holidays I met up with my now wife then girlfriend at the time in New York um, I flew back from I decided bizarrely enough I, uh, I when I was in New York and I was leaving to go back to LA I was like. I'm going to stop eating meat. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to stop eating meat. So I landed in LA. I got a, um, I grabbed a car. I drove up, you know, up to Santa Barbara. I discovered that yeah. bizarrely enough, um, Chipotle would do it. Chipotle in Santa Barbara. This is a really long, weird story, but Chipotle. In Please, Santa, no, I like it. No, so Chipotle in Santa Barbara had been like picked out of all the Chipotle stores. Like, you know, there would have been several of them that were doing it, but like one of the random test spots, that were doing their first vegan slash vegetarian offering. Um, I can't think. Nice. It was like a tofu-ish so thing. Frida. Yeah. So, so Frida. and I was like, yeah. cool. Okay. So this is, this is a good sign. Like I've found this burrito place that does vegan, like vegetarian slash vegan burritos. Yeah. Cool. This is cool. It. And then I get to the venue and I don't know anybody there, but I have a resist record shirt on and like walk up, like by myself, looking like a kid who doesn't know what the fuck is going on because I don't know anyone. I'm in a foreign right. country and da, 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 da. And this guy just looks at me and goes, my man, resist records. What's your name? And I'm like, Oh, hi, my name's Joel. And he's like, your friend of Graham. I said, yeah, uh, yeah. A band I was on was on resist records and da, da, da. He's like, any friend yeah. of Graham's a friend of mine. I was like, my, this is my people. Like I was just like, yeah. so welcomed from that second. It was fucking amazing. Yeah. So, uh, were, yeah, you, I mean, were you so at that show? There's a big thing. So, um, first, let me say this. Cool. Uh, there's very few other places in the world where that kind of thing happens. And it yeah. makes me very happy that that kind of energy happens in hardcore. Um, it's it's so cool. It's We need more of that just in the world. Uh, two, yes, I was at that show. Yeah. I <clears throat> flew in. I was, living, I was living on the East Coast. I actually moved back east as discussed. Um, in 2008. So even when we did it in 2009, I actually flew out to California to do the fast. Okay. 2010, uh, that was the first year that we weren't doing it. Um, flew out the Friday. I think I had work. Um, so flew out the Friday, got in late, wasn't able to go to the fast, but went and saw, um, I believe I went and Todd, who did Sound of Fear with us, had done a small show in, in Ventura. Yep. with the band Innumerable Forms. I went to that. And then on Saturday, woke up, go to the beach, hang out. Me and my now uh, fiancé, Amanda, go um, up to Santa Barbara. And uh, we get there, I believe, two bands before Backtrack. Right, okay. <laughs> so get there. You know, and walk in, see some bands playing. All right, this is cool. Uh, I remember walking around, talking to some people, and 
and you know, I, I remember meeting one of the guys from the band Tiger Shaw for the very first time, and it was really cool because I loved that band. Yep. Need to just meet him and say hello. Um, and then I, I meet up with Riley, and he had come there just minutes before, and we're standing there, kind of in the back of the room, not totally paying attention. Yeah. And then we see this huge commotion. Yeah. And then all hell breaks loose. Yeah. And I can't really even put into words what the whole thing felt like because it was just crazy. I mean, you were there. Yeah. But, you know, for people who are listening to this who don't know what we're referring to during the band Backtrack, uh, New York hardcore band, um, a friend of theirs rode his motorcycle into the mosh pit. Yep. So he rode the motorcycle into the room, you know, and, and ride. He, he kind of like carefully walked in on the motorcycle. Yeah. It's not like he came in like in the popping, the a, popping a wheelie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. He like walks it in, you know. Yeah. And then starts revving the bike in the middle of the pit. Yeah. And, you know. Um, I remember. So I remember, yeah, he was revving it like to the breakdowns and to the beat. Like yeah. it was, there was rhythmic to it. It wasn't just doing it. It was like. No, no, I like this band, and this is how I'm going to demonstrate my style. Like, I'm going to do this. Yes. Yeah. He, he, well put. He, <laughs> he certainly knew it. He was doing it. Now, um, the hindsight of it, you realize, like, oh, oh, that's so dangerous. Oh, highly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, a lot of people could have gotten very hurt. Yep. And, um, and, and so security at that venue, we had done it there one year. Um, but security at that venue was certainly not happy about this. Yeah. So um, they they kind of freak out. Show stops. Um, without getting into any details, all hell breaks loose. Yep. Uh, people are throwing things. I'm pretty sure a, a, a metal garbage can goes through a glass yeah. plate door. Um, I remember watching a guy it, pick up a um, – like a bike rack, like this big metal bike rack that people would put their front wheel into and then lock it. And I remember watching mm-hmm. a guy pick it up and had cool. no – like someone who was obviously respected and close to said probably not a good idea yeah. to put it down. But had no one have been there, yeah. that thing was going to go flying. Like and this was yeah. fucking heavy and it would have taken people yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the kind of thing that gets thrown that – uh, someone's going to the hospital or worse. Yeah. So, um, so it all hell breaks loose, and me and Riley, um, and Amanda are standing there, and we're like, "Oh, oh shit!" And uh, the show shut down almost immediately thereafter. Yeah. Yep. Um, and this is on uh, you know the evening of a Saturday, so all the headlining bands that evening, and then the entire lineup for the following day are just SOL, you know, uh, shit out of luck. Yep, yep. Our, and so the festival's canceled, and I I just remember my heart sank for yeah. the guys who were doing the festival because that's your worst nightmare. Yeah. It was out of their control, and it oh, it, it, it was really hard to watch. Yeah. Um, and it still feels pretty surreal to this day. I remember there was, like, I remember the flurry of – um. Like, you know, you go to a show and you think, I'm not going to – I'll check the merch out, but I'm not going to fucking buy it now. I'll buy it, like, later in the evening. And then when when it yep. was like, no, this is going di- – like, we are we are kicking people out now. 
I just remember a flurry of commerce yep. and it was just like throwing money around. Yeah. It's like, I need to buy that shirt. <laughs> fuck, I've got to buy that record. I'll just get it. I've got to get it on now. And like people are like, you need to get the fuck out. The security guards are not happy. You know, get get moving. And yeah. yeah so Yeah. Um and and that venue was interesting because it really was it was a horse farm. It was basically yeah. they had stables, they had a little horse thing and, and the the place where the show was was this exhibition area. The building itself was sort of shaped like a flower. If you ever look at a, a uh, like Google the, Maps um, of it or something. Satellite view, yeah. yeah, the satellite view. You can see it shaped like a flower. Um, it was not the best for sound, and the the security there kind of was also pretty tripped out by this whole thing happening. Yeah, the year that we did it there in 2008, the show was actually canceled at least twice. Um, I was just able to talk them off the ledge, which that was one of my roles was being able to talk to people and and calm things down and make sure that the show. So, so, uh, but even that, I don't think, I don't think the uh, most silver of tongues could have talked the security out of canceling the show after somebody was riding a motorcycle inside. Um, Things were, were off the handle. We'll, we'll say. So that was, that was, so we had, we, we did it from 2006 to 2009. Uh, I believe Joey and Ray did it from 2010, 11 and 12. And then Riley, Sean Riley, um, and Martine, who's in the band Terror, yep. uh, bought it back and brought it back in 2016. And they've done it 16, 17, 18, 19 now. And uh, I know that uh, Madison from Fury also helps them yep. a lot. And it's really, it's, it's, it's a great thing. I love to see what they do with it. And yeah, uh, I'm still very proud of the, what we did when we created it. Yeah, and you know, hearing like it was great to hear how far it's come and how well it's kind of still like it's still a rev- like it's still yeah it's still a respected venue and sorry a respected event. Was it was it this year? Yeah. Guys did shows from it or, or like last year? Was it? Yeah, I can't. It must have been last year. Like I remember, you guys did a lot of record. It felt like you guys did a lot of recording over there, and it was in that big, beautiful old building. And um, yeah, it just seemed you know really. Like it, it was just the, it was still the perfect, a perfect kind of festival. And yeah. Kind of, you know, the venue that. right now, the venue right now is beautiful. Yeah. It's, uh, this old LA theater and it's got this vaunted ceiling that's just, it, it's almost like being, it's like a cathedral of hardcore, to be honest. It's yeah. just, it's really cool. And, and the shows there last year and this year were both just kind of, awe-inspiring uh and i don't mean to sound grandiose when i talk about it but it just was cool at the age of you know i'm in my mid-30s now as are you that i can still go to a hardcore show and be like wow this is just this is cool to be at this kind of an event this is really fun like i look at it from afar and think it's great that this can still exist like it hasn't been that that literally it's the same kind of deal like it's diy on a bigger scale but it's still a bunch of friends Mm -hmm who find the venue, who do it, who hire the PA, who book the band, to do it all in-house. And it's just really, you know, yep. yeah, it's, it's growing, but it's still kept that core ethic. Yeah, so. 100%. And that's kind of one of the things that I love more than anything else about hardcore is this idea of the sound can change. The people are going to change. Even a lot of the, the, the ideas that are being put out there are going to change. 
but some of these kind of tenets, some of these like inherent values or yeah. or the way people do things are, are still there. The root of it is still there. The way the, the way it kind of should be. Um, and that that's not something that's not unbending and unchanging. It's just something that's steady. And uh, it was cool to start. And it's still cool today. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so I guess, so you've moved back east. What happens back east? I've been back east. Yeah, I've been back east. Um, long story short, I moved back east in 2008. Uh, somewhere in 2010, I think later on in 2010, I uh, spent a year and a half in San Antonio, Texas, which was uh, interesting and, and cool. Yeah. But uh, but we moved back east after that. And uh, after living in the suburbs of Philadelphia for a few years, we have now lived uh, again in Brick, New Jersey at the Jersey Shore for the past two and a half years. Amazing. Um, which is great. Did that Was that just and coincidence uh, that you kind of ended up there or was that a conscious move to move back to New Jersey? You know, I, I spent a lot of time, we talked about the summer of loneliness yeah. <laughs> um, through punk and hardcore and living in New Jersey. I ended up making a lot of friends. Okay. I ended up with a lot of people I related to, um, you know, like minds, even though they're all very different, which is the only way I'd want it. Yeah. Um, so we ended up not moving back to this town intentionally. We found the house we wanted at the price we could afford and really liked it about five minutes away from the ocean here. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we, we realized that, the things that we wanted were being close enough to New York city and, uh, and being close to the ocean. And we have both those things here. So yeah. it's, it's pretty great. Best of both worlds. Yes, exactly. So, um, so yeah, no, it's, um, it's been a, a long winding road to where we are now, Yeah, but that's, that's where we are. And we record actually grind up in the city most of the time. <clears throat> and sometimes we, we take it down here, I like to think the episodes that we record at the shore are a little bit more laid back and, and okay. loose. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'll, I'll have to get your opinion next time we do some recording down here to see if you can if you can hear any of the difference. Well, there's definitely. There's, so you when you're in the city, you record at Tom's place, yeah. We do now. Yeah, we had previously recorded at Pat's place. Now Pat lives in a garage upstate, yep. so we record at Tom's place. Yeah, cool. Yeah, because you can. There's always the. Um, <laughs> When you, whenever you do it at Tom's place, there's always the air of, I have neighbors. I have a, I have many a com, a common walls. You need to shut the fuck up. Like You need to keep that shit down. You know, put a leash on that kid. Yeah. You you have no idea. I wish, yes, he says it and his eyes say it about twice oh, as much. I could fantastic. only imagine. Yeah, I could only imagine. It's fantastic. I'm so glad you picked up on that. Yeah. So <laughs> what's what was the, what was the impetus for, Axe to grind. Like, how does that come about? How do how do the three people that host it, like having a podcast with three people, in my mind is really hard yeah. work because there's only a limited yeah. amount of you know time to speak and you know like how does it how do you pull that off? How does it all come about? And then how do you pull it off? Yeah. Okay, so how it came about, I believe <clears throat> at some point, two thousand. 12, 13, somewhere in there. Some years ago, Patrick and Tom 
did an episode of uh, the Death Wish Incorporated podcast. Death Wish Inc. does a podcast called Death Talk. Yep. And they did <clears throat> they did an episode together, and I think they had a lot of fun doing it. Um, unbeknownst to them, I had done an episode of Death Talk in 2009, I believe, uh, <laughs> with with a woman, Nicole, who used to work at Death Wish, Death Wish, and it was a lot of fun too. Yep. We now fast forward to 2017, I guess it is, and um, the three of us, Patrick and I, have been friends for a long time. Um, I've known Tom, but we weren't super close until we started doing the podcast. You know, I always liked him, and he was a good guy. So we uh, we ended up in a group chat with the three of us and, and one other guy. Um, and they were talking about this, trying to do a podcast, trying to find it, trying to get it set up. And they were having a hard time getting organized and set up. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so there, I was like, do you, do you guys just want me to help you kind of get things, get this train on the track? Yeah. They're like, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I do. And uh, they're like, well, can you help us get a guest? I was like, well, sure. Here, here's some good ideas. Oh, yeah, yeah. How about that? Okay. And then they're like, well, do you want to come on too? And I'm like, do you want me to come on? They're like, yeah, yeah, please come on. So I came on and we did it. And it was almost instant that it, it clicked, you know, um, that we had three really different perspectives and three really different styles and different tastes in music, all of which overlapped yeah. sometimes in ways that you would expect sometimes in ways that you wouldn't. Yeah. Um, and that we were just three really different kind of people from each other, but they could all get along and, and have a, a fun conversation. Um, and, you know, we left the first recording and I'm like, you know, like, Hey, if you guys, you know, I, I this was really fun. I, I'd love to do it again. And, and uh, you know, if you want me to, I, I'd be glad to do it. And they just kind of, both like, Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. You're, you're on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> You're yeah, <laughs> you're a part of this. Yeah, like yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Duh. So, and um, and you know, I, I I don't get the opportunity to do this. So if they if they end up hearing this, I, I hope they they know that even at that time I explained. I was like, hey, look, I will 100 percent give you 110 percent, but I'm not always the easiest to work with. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm opinionated, uh, and I, I'm not necessarily stubborn, but I definitely am strong-willed, and I love to listen. But I, I you know, I, I want to make sure up front that if we're going to do this, you guys, I, I at least say this once. Um, and they both have, you know, Patrick knowing me more, Tom knowing me less, but they have both understood that and 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 been really good partners in this together so i think that's an underrated part is is really working together and and trying to make sure it works for everyone's schedule and 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 that what we do is is something that we all have fun doing and it's not some sort of labor yeah your schedule like yeah your schedule must be you know as a as a father, it's fucking hard for me to get yeah. time away. And, you know, as you are as well, like as we mentioned before we hit record, yeah. it's hard to get time away. Yeah. And then throw in the mix yeah. someone who's got a who's got a really, really important job being Tom. Not exactly sure what he does, but yep. like the hours, it's it's not a nine to five. You know, it's 
It's very intense. Oh yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a nine to, to six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, it's a nine to whenever I'm needed. Mm. Yeah, and right. then throw the um, and, throw the and, other chaotic layer of uh, Patrick doesn't quote unquote work, but tours. Yeah, constantly in two bands. Tours and, and like um, exactly. So so Tom just to give the basics. Um, Tom works for a group that helps people coming out of prisons okay. reacclimate to society. Yep. Um, and that's on all different levels. And it's <clears throat> both fascinating and inspiring and sometimes heartbreaking Yeah. and sometimes scary. And it's something that I, I hope we do a future episode where you can really talk about it because it's something I want people to know exists because the American penal system is really difficult. And, um, you know, I think in an ideal world, we'd look at it as being uh, something that is rehabilitative. And when people exit, they have a chance to reacclimate and have a normal life or a better life than the one they had prior. Yeah. People like Tom are doing all they can to help them, to help the people who deserve that second chance. Um, And yeah, his schedule is very demanding and he's got a more than nine to five and he's very committed to it and it takes the energy out of him. There's sometimes when we record on weekdays where you can tell he is just drained, but he still musters the energy. And he also, we're talking about fun stuff, so he has a good time, but you know, sometimes there's times we have to record on a weekday and, and I feel for him because we'll be recording and recording and recording. It's like, uh, Tom's got to get up soon. Um, and Patrick, for, for all the uh, joking we make, um, he, he is currently working really hard um, at his other creative endeavor, which is comic book writing. And I, I really encourage a lot of people, if, you know, I don't know what your access is to comic books there. Um, he has become someone who's very good at what he does when it comes to comic book writing. Uh, I will speak very honestly and say that I think some of his early work is good and the energy was there and all the things that you want to see from somebody who's, who's young and writing comics for the first time is there. But where he's at now, even just compared to that is, is remarkable because he's, talented he's clever his writing has a sharpness and an edge to it that is fun and to the point and his pacing and story is just really exceptional uh i i say this as his friend i also am a hard critic yeah i think he's done a great job with it and um he's got a few books that are out there now i, I encourage anyone that, that can to go out there and, and seek those out um, actually, uh, I, we're going to put some more stuff up about it uh, through Axe to Grind. So, you know, check that out. Yeah, cool. But, but he works a lot with that. And, and then between that and juggling both the band Drug Church and the band Self-Defense Family, <laughs> there's been times where, and you'll, you'll probably find this amusing, where it's like, okay, Patrick's leaving for six weeks. Um, we need to have six weeks of content, of content for that time where he's gone. Yeah. Yes. Cause we release an episode every week 
And so we record them all in advance. Yeah. Yeah, but on top of that content that goes out free, you you know, you're you're very um I guess giving or very, you know, rewarding to the Patreons that sign up. So there's that content that you yes. put out as well. Yeah. Yeah. So we do yeah, and we do two or three episodes for Patreon every month. Um and so so if he's gone for six weeks, that essentially means we need to record nine episodes, if not more, oh. in advance to him leaving. Yeah. And uh and you know, with the with that in mind, that they have to be timely, that we can't you know, we we can't have to do current events per se because yeah. if we talk about something that just happened, well, that might not come out for six weeks. So yep. we have to come up with concepts and ideas that'll be just as fun and interesting to listen to today as they would be six weeks from now. Yeah. So sure. um, so that's something that we all kind of collaborate on and, and work together to make make happen. And, and you know, I, I think the three of us and you know, yeah, my schedule is nuts. Um, my my. My fiance Amanda, she travels for work a lot. Uh, for example, tonight she, today I dropped her off at the airport. She's going to Copenhagen, Denmark for a week, and then Stockholm, Sweden for another week. Wow! Uh, so, so this week I'm going to be what I call solo dad. Yeah. And uh, you know that means I take care of my son full time. I drop him off at school. I pick him up from school. All the meals, all that. You know, spending time with him, doing the whole thing. And, uh, you know, so that tied in with recording. It also means I think I've only ever taken Easton to recording once. Okay. Um, and he, he enjoyed, he, it was a, a rare treat where he got to watch uh, a TV show on the iPad and uh, he fell asleep about halfway through. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so he didn't have, <laughs> but any, I only he, had to do he, that once. And I, sorry, he, he didn't have anything to add to, um, you know, the state of the current state of hardcore no, affairs. He, he got, he, he, he got very shy about it. He didn't really have anything to say. He did really like, uh, he likes the sounds that we make on the show, but we, we tend to curse a lot more than I'm comfortable with. So I try not to let him listen to extra crime. That much. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> See. So is there anything else like, you know, that you want to talk about? Like, is there anything you're doing creatively? Are you working with bands? Are you working help with festival, like help booking tours or, you know, an, oh, an unofficial A and R role for any band, bands or labels. Like, are you? What are you? Are you doing much actively mm-hmm. music besides the podcast? Uh, well, so I did the Have Heart shows this this oh, summer. Of course, you did. How could I forget that? Yeah, okay. yeah. Those were pretty big. Um, that was fun. Big shout out to Have Heart. Everyone should listen to Fiddlehead. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's not too much. To say. They were really fun. Um, I'm pretty sure there's going to be video footage coming out soon. So. People should check it out. There's a lot of photos. It was a great time. Uh, as, as an official release or in. like you just put it on? A- no, just online. I think okay. it's going to come out online for free. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, uh, you know, officially, the, that's a hard word. Um, I'm working, I'm helping out the band Anxious, uh, who I, I think is awesome. Yep. They're a younger band from Connecticut. They have a real like pop, post-hardcore with some pop-punk infusion and kind of like a really amazing knowledge base of alternative and and punk music that is fusing into a sound that I I just love. So they just put out an EP called Never Better on on Triple Triple B B Records. Yep. Yep. I, I really encourage everyone to check that out. 
that teamed with they did a live set on Axe to Grind. Oh, man, you can feel the energy. They just did a DIY. They booked their own whole full U.S. tour with their brother band One Step Closer, yep. hardcore band who did an LP on Triple B earlier this year. They're fantastic. Um, yeah. oh, amazing. Yeah. So we got to get them down to Australia. Yeah. But uh, but but both those bands are are just like everything that's going good in in hardcore and punk music right now. Uh, what else am I doing? I've got some some things that are cooking. I'm always working on different creative projects, yeah. um, but nothing that's to report. Uh, nothing else officially. Fantastic. So before we pick our last song, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, like it's weird to think like I've never done anything like this before as in a podcasting thing. I've never done any kind of media, um, but you guys really – kind of keep me inspired to keep going like and keep doing it um you know and like and set a benchmark and i'm sh- i'm sure i'm not alone in saying this but like set a benchmark of quality and all that kind of jet you know everything that goes along with it while still kind of you know making it my own little thing so i really want to thank you for giving me the time because it means so much like it's it would be like you know i like like it would be like if you were you know, oh, actually, here's a good way to describe it. Um, I played in a band called Jungle Fever uh, for a couple of yep. years and we got like, you know, very relatively popular in Australia and we got yep. to we got to tour with Sick of It All and come, like Come Back and Sick of It All came out and we got the like the national oh tour God. for it. Yeah, it was pretty fantastic. It was in about 07. Amazing. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like it's to have you as a guest is like to get a support spot on that show, if that makes sense. Like it means so much to me to have you as a guest to do this. So I really, really appreciate you kind of spending the time. Like I know you're, I didn't know, I didn't even realize how busy you were with your wife not being there, but um, oh, sorry, your fiance not being there, but so I really, really appreciate um, you give me the chance to do this, mate. It's, it's uh, fantastic. So thank you. That's very kind of you to say. I, uh, I want to tell you that I think it's awesome that we're inspiring you guys, um, that we're inspiring anyone, specifically you. Um, and I, I also want to say that I love what you did with it in the fact that Thank you. You, you, you are doing something and you're kind of doing your own spin on it. It's all I can tell people is that we have the means, whatever it is, however it is that you want to create and express yourself, I hope you're out there doing it. And there are tools that will help you do it. And if you're having trouble doing it the way you want to, um, ask, try, talk to people. Yeah. This is such a cool time because the ability and platform to express yourself and and do creative things. I I just think it's so cool and so neat to see the breadth and depth of what people are doing creatively across the spectrum, you know, and you asked the question earlier about not doing a band and, and, you know, there's reasons and, you know, for good or bad. But to me, hardcore has always been about, well, it's a creative and expressive form, but the music wasn't the only vehicle for that creativity or expression. And that's, you know, to me, music is art. And doing a great podcast is art. And a great TV show or a great writing or, or great <clears throat> anything can be artistic and expressive so um kudos to you thank you so much for having me on it it means a lot 
mate. I really appreciate it. So, I don't think I've ever talked about myself more than I just did for the past however long. So two and a, two and that, a quarter that's hours. That's something too. Yeah. It's yeah. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. Um. So let's take it out with a song. What are we? What what uh, song yeah, kind of sums up? What kind of sums up Bob in 20, 2019? Jeez, Bob in twenty nineteen is probably like uh, like uh, an Almond Brothers song, so I'm not going to put you on that. No, no, but I do look, want to go with uh, whatever you feel. There's no look. Okay, just well, to say, just feel, some context before you go on. I've had yeah, I've had everything. Like I've had everything. I you know? it. Yeah, so you can just throw <laughs> it out there. It doesn't matter. I've had a, a Hawaiian Christmas carol before. Like it's okay. You, you oh. just yeah. So man, there's so many good songs though. So. But what I do want, I, I, I'll put this song out. Um, the band Method of Doubt, hardcore band from Florida, uh, new band. Um, the song World of You. It is off their new EP, Accepting What We Know, a small label IOU Records from Florida. Uh, this is one of my favorite records that's come out in years. And uh, the song, the, the first song off of it, World of You. Is, is the one I'm going to close out today with. I'm going to choose that over uh, Almond Brothers' Melissa. So Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Hey, again, I really appreciate it, mate. Thank you so much. Joel, thank you so much. Have a good one.
Oh, Bob shared. That was fantastic. Cool. So um, thank you for listening the whole way through. That's unreal. Really appreciate it. MyAgePodcast.com, Instagram, Facebook. They're the social medias that I use. PayPal.me slash MyAgePodcast or Patreon.com slash MyAgePodcast. Feel free to... Feel free to throw a couple of bucks my way. You don't have to. It's not expected. It just makes it that extra bit easier. Um, cool. I think that's about it. Until uh, the end of the month. Um, I've got three more interviews to upload for the end of the month. And then during December, I do basically... I've got a couple of basically lists. Like what I did last year. I'm pretty sure I did it the year before. I can't remember. But yeah, definitely what I did last year. Of like best ofs for 2019 uh, uh, in different styles of music that I thought were the best ofs. So you know, look out for that. That's December, and then fuck November. We hit the uh, sorry January. Hit the ball. Hit the ground running again. And yeah, cool. Okay, too easy. Take care. Everybody knows you've been discreet But there were so many people you just had to meet without your clothes And everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it Calvary uh, to the beach 
ancient Malibu Everybody knows it's coming upon Take one last look at this sacred heart Before it blows And everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it goes